Hey, this is Dag, and you're listening to Beyond Trek Podcast. I've got my vintage Captain Pike phaser. Nice. The Strange New Worlds trailer was so good. Oh, Oh, man. What's Una's last name? Chin Riley. Okay. I just want to call her Una Commander. (laughs) And that's wrong. That's really wrong. Her name was Morgan Primus. Morgan Primus. Well, Una is almost as punny because it just means one and it's feminine. You don't think it's hilarious though that we're gonna have like Nurse Chapel and Una both played by the same actress, played by different actors or actors now? I like, am. I am very much looking forward to the two of them being in the same room with each other at one point and having got a play off of it somehow. They're gonna remark and be like, uh, just I don't know. Have Chapel be like. They both went to the academy together and just have Chapel like hero worshipped Una and be like, you know, I thought I was you for so long. You know, it would be amazing if they have to do like a body double episode or something. Like, well, we can't send her down. We've got to, or she's she's in a coma or something. We've got to send someone that looks like her. They're expecting Una. Nurse Chapel, dye your hair black and go down. No. Well, we found our cold open. Hey everybody, and welcome back to Beyond Trek Podcast. Uh, I'm Dag, you're one of your hosts, and in the room today I've got Renzo and Big J. Uh, today we're going to hang out and talk about Star Trek Picard Season 2, Episode 5, Fly Me to the Moon. Bonus points in the comments if you know who sang that song originally, and if it's appeared on Star Trek before. But before we get into that, a very special announcement Will Wheaton is going to be in the house joining Beyond Trek Podcast next Tuesday. Mark your calendars, bring some tissues, it's going to be a heavy one. And now, for the show, this is your spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Dude, so much good stuff. You don't so mind if I sit here eating my pork rinds while we talk, right? No, yeah, some have, loud noise. Have, we're going to nah, need I shouldn't it. do that. Crunchy. I mean, crunchy. Yeah, I need something crunchy. Well, you oh, can just by... yourself, you know, push to talk. Yeah, yeah, maybe eating on camera might not be kosher, but... Like me with healthy. my baked potato, like eight episodes I ago? I mean, pork rinds are certainly not kosher, <laughs> so that's not even different. What if, uh, <laughs> what if you could make a brand of kosher pork rinds? Yes, what I eat, I would rather be blessed by a rabbi. It's impossible. So, for for a long time, I had one of my uh, roommates who was Jewish convinced that the the cinnas- the cinnamon twists that they have at Taco Bell are made from pork rinds. Wow, but he loved them. He's obsessed with them. He would eat them all the time, and he wasn't following kosher generally, but wow. he was obsessed with these in particular. And I had him convinced that they were pork rinds until he finally looked it up. Wow. Oh my God! That reminds me. Uh, I was I was in college uh, with some friends who were business majors, and they were doing a lot of business studying. And uh, one of them was uh, he was vegan, but he was eating pop tarts, and he didn't okay. know that the gelatin in pop tarts was made from horses. It is. Yeah. I'm not vegan, and I didn't know. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I mean, if I, I mean, it's fine if you're, you know. They taste delicious, though. I love Pop-Tarts. But yeah, I, Pop-Tarts think, are good. I think they've gotten rid of that in the last few years. This was over a decade ago. All right, all right, all right, guys. Let's, let's get back to the point here, right? Oh, what were you talking about? <laughs> well, we hadn't started yet, but we were going to talk about Fly Me to the Moon. 
<laughs> All right, so episode starts. It's Renee Picard inside of the rocket. She's being called Shango. Or I'm not sure if that's the name of the mission, her call sign, or the name of the ship. Could be any of the above. Really. What's the word? Shango. S H A N G O from the hmm. subtitles. Hmm. I wonder okay. if it's initials for something. It could be call sign, could be yeah. the mission, or it could be the ship. I don't I, know. I but... would love for that to be a call sign and just hint at a deeper history there. And it doesn't even need to be explained. Yeah. Yeah, they can leave it. Shango. Either way, she is uh, trying to pilot the ship. She is unable to veer off from a Russian satellite that has, like, broken up. Very, very, very topical because that's happened a couple times in real history recently. Or Chinese, right? Uh, mm -hmm. She fails to get around it. It impacts uh, whatever their ship is. And the training simulation ends with a boom, you're dead. And she has a small panic attack kind of moment where she's trying to get out of the like restraints and they're like stuck and she has to be told by the controller to like calm down. Like it's just the, it's just the jitters, you'll be fine. Right. It would be scary. Can you can you imagine being in space, in real space, and have a broken up satellite heading towards you like that? Just being in space would be nerve wracking enough. I mean I would hope that astronauts generally are a bit more for like have more fortitude than either of us right? right also i would be surprised if this was renee picard's first time in space if she's piloting a mission a to europa its first mission to europa right. i would hope she's already done some lower orbit stuff at least right yeah anybody, i we would hope anybody get kobayashi maru vibes yes no win situation absolutely how are you gonna how are you gonna pilot this through a russian satellite debris <laughs> I didn't get that vibe. I figured that she legitimately screwed up. I figured that like there was a way to get through this oh, okay. kind of thing. I don't think NASA, like real NASA, has a Kobayashi Maru kind no, of training thing. They so. wouldn't have a no-win thing. Like It doesn't I mean, make sense from their perspective. They did have a no-win thing, and they figured out how to pick, fit a square peg in a round hole in 1970, was it? Yeah, Apollo 13 was yeah. like their we-can-fix-anything kind of moment. Yeah. Yes. Now imagine right. if we'd have had a 3D printer and they had the same problem. We just design yeah, it's a, so easy. We just design a fix and send it up there and print it out. Speaking of which, the show that they had recently on Netflix, that uh, Lost in Space show, it's pretty good. I liked yes. it. Yeah. Their use of 3D printing was phenomenal. Like, whenever they needed something, they'd go 3D print it, right? Like, if they had some design, they would design it, CAD it, whatever, and then print it out for whatever purpose was there. It was very, very good use of it. You see a little bit of it in The Expanse, but not as well as you do in Lost in Space. Literally deus ex machina. Yeah. Cool. Anything you needed. All right. So next scene is we've got Jean Luc. He's in the apartment in an apartment that has like a, a door that is a wall safe, like from a bank. It's very serious looking. Very um, uh, what you call it? The callback. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, there's there's no doubt from my mind, even in the last episode, that, that was already a setup for exactly what we got. Like yeah. the watcher setup yeah. is a Gary Seven S. Totally thing, Gary right? Seven's you office it. to a weird door place. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Uh, anyways, he realizes very quickly that she is not Laris. Uh, she doesn't recognize the name. She calls herself Talon, which is the capital of, you know, Estonia. I don't know if that's relevant, but who knows? Um, I'm still trying to figure out, is there supposed to be some connection with, with her looking like Laren? Or is it supposed to be there a, is, we'll just forget about it? Later. Yeah, I don't, I don't know I mean, if... If there is, but 
honestly, this isn't the first time in this. This isn't the, the last time in this episode somebody's going to mistake a face for someone else. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So she identifies yeah, herself as Talon. It was an interesting little bit there, and then she tells him, or sorry, uh, Picard tells her that he is from the future. He's come back, and uh, Q has messed all things, all these things up. And her response is, "What's a Q?" This took me out of the episode a little bit because she's living in 2024. She should have a very good understanding of what Q is, and she should assume it's QAnon and be like horrified, like, "Whoa, you're a crazy person! What the fuck is Q QAnon have to do with time travel?" That brings this in. Is bad. I mean, I I like that for the immersion thing, but that would totally derail the episode for a hot skip. Yeah, sure. It it's would. Just, it's just simpler writing, and I and I get that it would be nice, and and it is simpler writing, and there's no good answer there any more than not knowing who q was is it why would she know what q, who q was well, i see I no thought... reason why she would know well okay so explain this to me gary seven i totally remember that episode and i know that he was like a watcher she's she's a watcher but they are aliens right nope they are normal regular people but how do they have this this power this basically let me let me rephrase that they were kidnapped what? by uh doctor who's people i don't remember the name of those species and then they returned uh and and they have a little sonic screwdriver but it looks like a pen instead yeah. and um and they're they're here to monitor fixed points in time like the, mm -hmm. uh, the apollo launch and renee picard's launch they're just regular humans with access to more advanced technology. Yeah. They were just kidnapped and like bred. And as I recall, but it what? wasn't even that far away. Like it was like Alpha Centauri or something. Uh, okay. I don't think they said where. It was just like a thousand light years kind of thing is what they'd said. Then yeah. I then I took it as that they knew or should have known more than they did on a galactic scale. It, they weren't like that. They were just here's your mission. I see no reason why they would tell an agent right. like Laris or Gary yeah. more than they needed to know for just the purposes of their mission, yes. assuming that their overlords even have a clue who Q is. Because yeah. I can imagine that there are many uh, races in the galaxy that oh, have sure. no idea what a Q is. But you know, That's a good point. They seem to have learned their lesson from the Gary 7 encounter because they have all these... They, they have the ability to like transplant their consciousness or somehow take over the consciousness of other totally beings. Totally unexplained so far. Totally no details for that yet. Yeah. I it, would like more details for that. It is weird. I would like to know more, uh, but we are where we are. I did like the fact that immediately Picard, who is a history nerd, knows all about Kirk's Enterprise encountered a being named Gary Seven in the past on Earth. I appreciate that. It makes perfect sense for me that Picard would know that. Well... A diligent Starfleet officer who had the opportunity to actually meet with and work with Kirk. And this also isn't the first time a, uh, a Picard's mission has inter intersected a Kirk issue. You know, there was uh, right. the, the Psi-2000 virus that hit the Enterprise in 2364. There was unification. There was generations. I mean... They've Kirk bounced. is a legendary person, right? Yeah. And he happens, and Picard happens to be in command of a ship that is essentially the descendant of Kirk's ship. 
I have no doubts that there's plenty of required readings of Kirk's missions, and I have no doubt that Picard I mean, went above and beyond that too. Even the Enterprise B captain, John Harriman, said, I remember reading about your missions while I was in grade school. That's yeah. an ageist kind of a thing. <laughs> right. So it, it sounds like it was once you were less. a kid. Yes. And to me, it kind of sounds like maybe from when you're a child all the way up that you're reading things about Kirk and his missions. I mean, he's he's probably there, what, Christopher Columbus, if we were going to compare it to today's world. Uh, maybe not. Probably but like Neil Armstrong. Neil Armstrong. Okay. Teddy Roosevelt. Kirk is very much a Teddy Roosevelt character. But there's also a lot better record records, right? Like I can't really find day-to-day -day logs of what Christopher Columbus did from Christopher Columbus's words. It's true. However, captain's logs are stored from all of these missions. Yeah. And Picard could just call them up unless they get classified like crazy for some reason. Yep. Now keep in mind, the whale probe incident was only 19 years before Picard was born. Does that put some timeline into perspective there? Yeah. Wait a minute. What? The whale probe was in 2286. Picard was born in 2305. Uh -huh. Holy shit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So Picard's dad was a young man in at, when the whale probe hit. Wow. What you just... to the weather in France. <laughs> you blew my mind there. There's right, probably so... a 2386 vintage that's like super rare, but it's like the whale probe vintage. That would be awesome. <laughs> So we get this more back and forth about what exactly is the purpose of Talon's mission, who she's protecting. She's protecting Renee Picard specifically, uh, and that she is very important. Uh, a single string in a grand tapestry to which I'm not privy, right? It is very much like the temporal commission from Loki in that they don't really know the big picture of what they're doing, but they have to uphold the timeline in specific segments, right? Which is right. why I decided to wear the shirt. Variant. Oh, so, okay. okay. I there get was a, it now. There was a method to my madness. All right. So our next scene is, is back on La Sirena, and we've got, uh, which is, you know, crashed outside of Chateau Picard. Uh, the board queen is musing to herself about being alone, but not lonely, and how silence is being loud because she's still a little crazy. Uh, and she starts trying to hear cell cellular phone communications and you know, uses her voice to try and like tell the computer to like open a channel using regular cell towers in the area. Her voice doesn't work, thank God. Uh, Gerardi's voice doesn't work, thank God. Picard's voice doesn't work, thank God. And then she realizes, oh wait, Rios. And then she uses Rios's voice and, you know, La Sirena's encryption or security software is so shitty that it works. So she gets control of the... But wouldn't it? That. I just want to level set real quick. This isn't really La Sirena. This is the Confederate true. warship. True, true. You're right. Yeah. And you remember when we were talking about the whole time and things were screwy and all of that? It just dawned on me. You guys were trying to tell me that this, where they're at, is the past of what would become the Confederacy. And that it dawned on me that okay that's correct because seven doesn't have her uh, implant yeah the brow implant so i thought okay well if, if anything whether that would be there or not it helped trigger that that makes sense that they're not in the prime timeline quote unquote that they're in the past of what would become 
the, the Trumpy future that we saw. Reset things and get things back to the way they should be. Yes. But if they do nothing, this Confederacy happens. So, Correct. Yeah. All right. So she mimics uh, Rios's voice. She gets access to the phone lines and she makes a call to the French National Police and says that there's a woman being attacked outside of the old Picard vineyard in what I'm told is pretty passable French. So interesting little scene. But man, I was. I was pissed about this scene. Why? Because the queen has access to Earth's internet for like 30 seconds and she's already swatting someone. <laughs> well, think of how fast she processes information. I mean, she I swats herself. very quick. I get it. She I, swats it, it, herself. Her strategy yeah. is very logical. Like I don't, and it makes sense. It's just hilarious to me that, you know, hyper-intelligent being from the future gets access to the Earth internet for like a minute, and then the first thing she does is she swats someone. Which happens to yourself, I get it. It's just funny. You know what else well, is messed up? Gerardi, the premio cyberneticist here, leaves the Borg Queen alone with comm channels that aren't encoded. Stupid! Like, computer, seal the comm channels, authorization, blah 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 blah. All you have to do is sound like me? That doesn't. That's not cool. <laughs> yeah, they need better security, for sure. They need at least, like, a couple extra factors. <laughs> Two-factor authentication. We're going to leave the the head of the entire Borg alone on one ship in the 20th century. Like, they tried this already. We know what happens. <laughs> mm-hmm. Bad idea. Koda was all about this. <laughs> all right, so our next uh, scene is... Uh, Rios on the bus carrying him to the U.S.-Mexico border where he's going to a sanctuary district and uh, Rafi picks him up from the road and uh, we get this delightful little scene of Rafi and Seven bickering about like, you need to trust me you just want to run away, blah 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 it's a good scene It, it they play it off each other very well um, Rafi just wants to beam him out of the bus fuck the consequences, forget the timeline effects, whatever uh, Seven's like, we can we can affect the timeline, but not that much. Let's do this a bit more cautiously. And uh, so she uses the tricorder, sets off an EMP, which disables the the bus itself. And uh, they board the bus. They use the tricorder again as like a stun gun on another guy. We get a delightful Kirk two-fisted like knockout of one of the guards, which I really liked. Uh, yeah, you know what I good. was, you know what I was just thinking was. I'm not against Raffi's plan. I'm just going to say with this, I wouldn't be completely against her method. I think it's great that Seven wanted to try something less extreme first, but if I didn't have that, I can't say that I would disagree with her because we live in, a, in this culture now where nobody believes anything. Uh, there's very much a, you put this on the internet, you claim you saw this, and for God's sakes, we've got people denying that the Holocaust even happened. We're, we're very much a denial culture right now. The, the fake news, nothing happened, nothing is real. Now, I don't think they know that. Well, no, they don't, because they haven't been in that time society long enough, honestly. If they would have beamed Rios right the hell out of there, even with witnesses seeing it happen. What about the cameras? No one would believe him. 
the cameras caught a reflection from the sunlight that bounced off of the window. It's still fake. Photoshop. I don't Photoshop. think the real concern yes. here. No, I don't think the real concern here is like the public or the media finding out about this. I think the real concern would be like, what are the government officials going to do when they realize that something literally transported out of here? They've yeah, got eyewitnesses but... that they're going to interrogate the fuck out of. They've got the guards who saw it happen. And they've got the video footage. That's going to change the, are way they, the US government handles. Are they going to classify it? Are they going to immediately jump to transported? I don't know. Or are but they going to go gonna, with spontaneous combustion? They're not going to go spontaneous <laughs> combustion because that's also a which thing. which one is which one is more likely to be disbelieved? I don't know, but it's going to cause changes. Do we that's have ripple? Do we have? You know what? We do have evidence of transporter in the timeline. Well, we don't because Star Trek Four didn't happen. Never mind. Let me let me ask uh, you this, guys. Do you believe that there really have been UFOs contact with extraterrestrial life here? on this planet i'm talking real life real world no that says really? no not I, really. I, 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 i'm gonna betray myself because i am absolutely fascinated by first-hand accounts of supernatural contact and stuff like that i love those i love to read into them and see what's going on there um but i have been disappointed by the people who give those first-hand accounts being interviewed years later and giving a completely different account and right. i'm thinking if that ever happened to me and i was able to remember those details they would be burned into my brain in one story for all time so yes. do do i think that do i think they visited us no do, or rather do i think the accounts that have hit the news to my ears have have are real or true i do not however it's a complete waste of space for us to be the only people in this universe. Yeah, that's my approach as well. I have zero doubt that there is life out there. It is statistically impossible. That the math the only says there things, is. Right? Or was, that being or will said, be. The galaxy is really, really big, and it's probably full and teeming with life. I see no reason why somebody's going to show up here just to beam up some dude in the middle of Kansas to anal probe him and then set him back down rather than he was just drunk or high and didn't know what was happening and came with a story, right? Or he had a hallucination, mm -hmm. right? I just don't buy it. I would love for there to be confirmation of some sort of like UFOs or extraterrestrials, but I am dubious. I am a skeptic. But if, if there really was, and getting to the point that I was going to make here, if that really did happen, that information would be classified. For sure. We would never know about it. Anyone who saw or witnessed or was part of this disappearance of this guy would end up in some kind of black site somewhere you'd never see I mean, or hear they from were them already again. on their way to one in the first place also true. true yeah so that that's all i'm saying is if if we had gone with raffi's plan they didn't her and seven didn't realize it but it, that was a very plausible realistic it would have worked it idea. would have worked, but it still would have affected U.S. government, right? Which causes butterflies. If the government certainly starts thinking something happened to this person, he's no longer here, they're going to start being like, okay, is this some kind of Chinese technology that we Well, they already have Chekhov's phaser. No, they don't, because Star Trek Four didn't don't. happen. Oh, not in this. Okay. Yeah, that was my thought, too, was they beamed yeah. out of the hospital elevator. There would be government of uh, record of that, but because Star Trek Four hasn't happened, that didn't happen as well. Gotcha. 
I, I know. Wibbly wobbly timey wimey nonsense. Okay, going yeah. back to the episode. Thanks. Yep. yep, going back to the episode. So they they're getting people off the bus. They're slicing their wrist cuffs. Oh. They are letting them all out. It's really the this, actor too. It's great. We get this moment where there's this person behind Pedro, who's the friend that Rios had made like in the background, who like looks a little bit like Elnor, and you can you get a look at him, but you know it's not Elnor, but it looks a little bit like him. Then when they're finally coming off the bus and you're essentially Raffi is like your only main character there, he looks just like Elnor. It is Elnor and she grabs him. And as soon as he turns around to look at her, no longer looks like Elnor. It's a good psych out. I appreciated it. It, it shows this trauma that Raffi's experiencing, this like mother figure who's lost her son kind of thing. I thought so, that was Elnor for, for a hot moment. As so long. did I, I didn't think it was likely. But the Laris right. thing made me doubt it for a second. I was like, well, wait, if Laris is in this timeline, maybe Elnor is too? So it was a good swerve. Mm -hmm. How long has Elnor been dead? Uh, a couple a days. Day? Yeah. And a couple when, days, easy. when Seven used her nanoprobes to bring someone else back to life after they had died, how long had it been? No nanoprobes. Seven has them. No, she doesn't. She's not Borg. Wait, what happened? Oh, fuck. Timeline shift, right. Right. No, okay. She was never assimilated. All right, but we, but we know the Borg queen has something. Do you think yes. she's maybe cooperative in resuscitating Elnor? No, but no. I think Jurati might be later. Maybe. <laughs> oh. I, and we don't even know what that is. Let's wait till the end of the episode before we talk about that. Don't, don't jump ahead. Ah, fine. All right, so anyways... <laughs> They get off the bus. They let the people off. Uh, Raffi has this sort of moment where she thinks somebody's Elnor. And then we get this moment where uh, Rios says to Pedro, like, good job, good swing there, right? And then when he walks away, they play part of the DS9 theme. And I don't know why, but it drove me kind of crazy. Really? Yeah. I didn't hear that. I'm going to have to read. I watched read the episode that. twice, and I missed that. Same. Just at the scene where he's, like, starting to walk away, they get, like, the opening notes of the DS9 theme. And I don't know why. Interesting. Now I'm okay. over here thinking, like, what if one of the guys on this bus ends up killing Adam soon later? Like, what if the butterflies ripple from yeah. everybody on this bus who maybe should have gone to that dark site, or who in the original timeline did that, and now they're free? And how many of them were actually not decent people? I don't think so, the timeline is that we, sensitive. We don't know. Well, we I mean, if they, if they kill Adam Soong, it absolutely will be. It, yes. Adam yes, Soong is, is supposed to die. Maybe but, Adam Soong is supposed to die. Okay, well, then we have our, you know, Edith Keeler must die moment. Like, do we right. know what's supposed like to happen? Like I said last to this episode, man? right? I'm not sure that the Rene Picard thing is the real main event here. I think that may just be a, a red herring to distract Picard in this timeline. And the real thing is what he's doing with Soong. I'm not sure, yeah. but I think that that's something we should consider. I don't disagree. There's definitely two things at play here, and I think Q knows that if he makes a play for his ancestor, Picard's going to run with that while he really screws with the Soongs. And I'm really pissed off about this intersection of Soong and Picard again. I mean, it's weird. It feels ham-fisted a little bit, but whatever. For sure. It's well, this was, this was what I was saying in regards to the timeline not being that sensitive. Yes, if Eric Soon dies, <clears throat> of course, what I was referring to is someone on this bus who maybe was supposed to go, didn't, that that causes someone to end up being the one that 
performs this act that then destroys the timeline. I don't think it's that sensitive. It's not one bus with some immigrants on it is not going to somehow cause a butterfly effect that would lead to the death of I mean one of the soon forefathers or something. You it say that sensitive. You say that, but then there are instances like in in California and San Francisco there was a murder that was perpetrated by someone who had been deported a couple of times and made their way back to San Francisco and murdered this person and this person's death was used by aspiring wannabe politicians to run for office and talk about how bad the illegal immigrant cases crisis was and and the crisis on the southern border and all the other key terms and 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 buzzwords that get votes and then you get these other people who get into power from that and those people change things then again maybe this bus was supposed to be uh intercepted in this fashion except it wasn't going to be by raffi and seven but by some other group or these prison buddies that were going to break them all out at this point or it just got into an accident and these guys yeah. got free yeah and right let's go with occam's razor it's it's impossible to know right but right. i'm i'm with you that it it bears further consideration maybe they all just get recaught right like except pedro maybe or maybe yeah. they'll just get recaught the next day i Who just cares? i feel like we're gonna see pedro again i do too, and maybe and pedro maybe pedro is gonna be the linchpin that helps us out in the end because we helped him yeah that happens a lot that's another one of those tropes and that, that's my takeaway from the discussion that we're just having now is I think it's a slippery slope to assume that the timeline is so fragile that something like a bus, whether it gets to a point or not, could be enough to end up leading to the causes of a AJ, complete destruction of the timeline because everything everywhere uh, all at once. Oh, is that out yet? Yes. Oh what my God, it? it is. I saw it yesterday. Oh, I want to see that movie so bad. So it's a new sci-fi movie that has uh, Empress uh, Giorgio. Michelle Yeoh is like the lead in it. It's uh-huh. a timeline changing, reality shifting. Oh man, movie and it's really good. It's really really good. Cal and I want to see that movie so bad. It's the it's the inspiration for the Yoniverse. So you also have Jamie Lee Curtis in it, who is great okay. in it, right? yeah. and James Hong. And so. and the Short actor the actor who played Short Round in his first oh, film in like 20, yeah. 20 odd years. He's right. great. Anyways, right. it's, a, it it's a fantastic sci-fi kung fu flick, right? It's really good. Everything, so. everywhere, all the time? What's it everything, everywhere, everything, everywhere, all at, all at once. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Okay. But the reason I bring it up is because it brings up the whole concept of butterfly effects really well to show you how like alternate reality split from every single decision ever and how small changes long ago can reflect massive differences. Yeah. But yeah, go watch that. Now, right. I just want to tell the audience we're not actually paid promoting that. It's just a really cool I movie. I wish. <laughs> uh, but no, so there was one last thing I wanted to call out. There was a really good line here from uh, uh, Rios that I really connected to. It's a very bumpy century but he's getting the hang of it. Let's remember how he arrived in this century. Very bumpy. Very bumpy. A full, a flight full of, or like a floor worth of fall. Very bumpy. Yeah, he's only he's only a few hours from a concussion. Yeah. Like, well, no, no, it's been it's been a, a couple days. No, at, it's been a couple days. At, at least it's been a day. It may have been a day. It hasn't been night, surely, on this side of the planet yet. 
wasn't Canadian it not... detention they went through nights while they were like maybe I, this is all happening this is all so far the same day mm. this is very 24 big j okay yeah all right it, so i mean because i don't recall it being night for seven and rafi no they haven't shown anybody in night the only people that are knighted is in France, which is, makes sense because it's halfway around the world. What mm -hmm. about when Picard was meeting with Guinan? Was that at night? No, it was no. during the day. I thought, okay, I thought it was late in the day. Okay, but never mind. The only time I thought it was at night was when when Ice busted the, uh, the clinic. Nah, there was I remember out. that being no, at night. No, that was daylight, okay. too. So this they, is all because they 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 went to the cops and they stole the car and it was daylight then and then they just beamed out here. Yeah, the, reason, the car chase is all in daylight. Everything's been in daylight so far. But the but the pro, the the taking of someone from ICE to then ending up on a bus on the way to Mexico, to me that doesn't happen in a day. That doesn't happen the same day. It's yeah. LA. It's not that far from from Mexico, honestly. All right, a lot let of us right. here being taken, but let's yeah, let's 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 let us move okay. forward. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll be here for four hours. Yeah, uh, in Talon's apartment, Picard asks about her job, getting more details about it, right? Um, she explains that she was chosen to be a supervisor. She doesn't know all the details of why she's here. She just knows what she needs to do. And here's where Picard get, has this little, like, history moment where he remembers that, you know, James T. Kirk once encountered a Gary Seven, right? Which was great. We talked about that a minute ago. Um, she also points out specifically that she doesn't interfere in a way that she, that renee can possibly know she is an invisible hand essentially uh which is a different approach i think than what we saw from gary seven gary seven seemed a bit more like personally involved but his mission was a bit bigger i think so i want to go through the trinkets in her apartment to see if any of them were in gary sevens because there's like so... an there's like an old 60s ashtray and then there's ancient cameras and stuff like that like did you see the claim that the weapon she was using was soren's weapon i did not see the claim i saw the weapon itself because it focused to the side but it's clearly yeah. not it's not the same way. I, I, like I just watched generations today um and i watched this episode again today not with the intent to compare those weapons but um, yeah, I was like, oh, that's designed a little bit like Soren's gun, but it isn't the Soren gun prop. It's been 28 yeah. years. That prop is probably long gone. Yeah, I don't think that it was intended for us to believe that that, that prop, was the same weapon that yeah. Soren used. That prop is as far removed from us as Star Trek Generations is as removed from Star Trek, the original series first season. Yeah, I yep. mean, it's probably in Malcolm McDowell's living room, right? Like, we don't really know. <laughs> he just holds it up to people. <laughs> now, let me tell you, time is the fire in which we burn. Damn it, Dad, I've heard it five times. I have a key. I'm just here to give you peanut butter. <laughs> All right, so anyways, they go back and forth about this. We hear a little bit of the background of Renee Picard and why she's so amazing. You know, taught herself the sale, taught herself Cantonese and fluid dynamics and chess. She's an autodidact. She's brilliant. Uh, went to university at 16. And uh, yeah, she uh, spent some years as a test pilot. So she's somebody who is familiar with high pressure states, right? And Renee yeah. seems to be now like a family name. Yes. For the Picards. It's also a pretty common name, though. For French? Uh, for French name? Well, yeah. Except 
Remember, Picard gave that speech at the beginning in his own timeline and mentioned Rene Picard as an ancestor, and it, well, he wasn't talking mm-hmm. about his nephew, and you'd think he would connect the two. That just seems right to me. That what? That he would? What do you mean he would connect the two? You wouldn't be. You wouldn't just suddenly be aware of an ancestor you had named Rene, and then also know that your uh, your nephew you just talked who, about who you adored. Mm-hmm. Who died in a fire tragically was also named Rene. Like okay, the, yeah, there would be a connection there. You're right. That makes sense. But yeah, so for our ears, it's probably tough to hear the difference between Rene and Rene. But there is like at least in writing, there's an extra letter in the feminine version of the name rather than the masculine. Sure. You said the name the same way twice. Yes. No. <laughs> oh, okay. That that was literally the joke. <laughs> I'm. Here's the joke. Here's me. <laughs> it's just smooth right over the that aerodynamic dome of yours. I, I don't do French. <laughs> I, I try, but I can't do it. I think I'm saying I'm slightly differently. I think I'm emphasizing the E in a different place. Maybe I'm not. But Rene and Rene are oh. two different names. One is masculine, one is feminine. Someone gotcha. in the comments, gotcha. please school us on on what, 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 what three Anglos sound like when we say Rene and Rene. Okay, right. so anyways, they go through this little bit of background about like what uh, what she's been doing in her life and how she is remarkable, but uh, she seems to be exhibiting some stress uh, in her most recent times, and uh, Talon is a little worried about her. Uh, she doubts that Renee will even be on the flight, so she literally... Oh, well, this is also where we hear about the whole she went to a jovian moon uh and this is where we start getting some hints that that she was very important to the story itself in the future right like we haven't heard the whole story about the 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 things she finds but we're starting to hear that she's not just the pilot she actually does something more significant than just get them there uh and then we get this scene of talon pulling up the therapy session that that renee was in uh and picard's reaction is this is private what are you doing? And then Talon just kind of shrugs it off. She's just doing her job. And then Picard's like, eh, fuck it. It's more important to get this done than to care about her privacy at this point. I've got beef about the whole thing. Actually, Why? the whole plot and, and anchor point of the season. <clears throat> you want to hear it now or at sure. the end of the episode? Let's Go do nuts. it. Okay. So far, this season has been right on the nose, realistic with what's actually going on in present time today. It has not gone too crazy with anything, in my opinion, except for this whole Europa mission. How is it that they're going from being very real and depicting the world today, especially the US, and suddenly trying to get us to believe that we have a way to get to a moon of Jupiter in anything less than how long would it take it? So 40, 50 years or something? I can, like, I can feel this one. 40, 50 years. It's like a two, three year kind of thing. I can feel well, this okay, one. Well, okay, yeah, but you, you see what I'm saying? I Let's hear it, Dag. No, I don't. So, um, I believe it was the episode Tomorrow is Yesterday where the Enterprise flung itself around a black hole to observe some stuff that happened and uh, intercepted uh, uh, a, a 
a pilot named Christopher whose son was going to go on in the 20 teens to do a Saturn mission. Mm-hmm. Now, without time travel, there's no interference there, and that son still goes on to do that thing. Eh? Mm-hmm. The one mm-hmm. thing that is interesting here is without time travel, then there is no Voyager Braxton incident and the computer microchip revolution of the 1980s happens differently because there's no mm-hmm. time ship Aeon that gets captured by Starling Industries. Anyway, um, so if by the 2016s in Star Trek lore we have a Saturn mission, it totally makes sense that 10, 15 years later we're going to have a Jupiter mission. So Saturn's further out than Jupiter, right? But if they're just doing like an orbital no, no, I mean, fly around of Saturn that, and come that, back, then that's that what works I'm saying. just fine. That's what I'm saying. No. If we can get to Saturn in the teens, we can absolutely get to Jupiter. Yeah, that's fair. More so to the point, though, Big J, Star Trek's version of 2024 is not our version of 2024. There are some technological differences, for sure. We see them in this episode. We've seen them before. But in that... the very episode that Gary Seven is brought in, they talk about having nuclear missiles on satellites. That has never happened in our reality right. for many reasons, legal and technological, but they managed it in the 1960s. In the 70s, Star Trek universe without in our Trek interference. Universe, without interference. That's before anybody got involved, right? Mm-hmm. So the Star Trek timeline is already different it also in some means ways more advanced than ours. Gary Seven's mission was completely unencumbered. That's cool. Yeah. I, I guess the, the part that I just... I hear what you guys are saying. I totally get that. The part I'm just having trouble with is all of these things were shown very much on the nose, but however, it takes three professionals sitting here and seats recording a podcast to justify or explain how out of all this realism that we accept, this person is going to be in a single person craft to travel to we don't know Europa. That. We don't know that. You're we assuming that she's in a single person we craft. We don't know if we don't we don't know it's a single person craft. We know that okay, she's well, gonna be in charge of piloting at some point, or maybe she, she okay. has to take the wheel at some point. But sure. there's probably going to be a mission ops team. There always would be a mission ops team. And in the fact, other thing the is, is that she's in the the co pilot seat is right next to her. So there's well, yeah, a but, second seat right there. The other thing but sure, is I, I still have a hard time swallowing that's okay. that. That's okay. Suspend your disbelief. That's really all I can say. It's a lot of suspension. Well, and 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 I I'm I wanna I wanna veer off for a second. So pardon me. Okay. But, but the three of us are way into the minutia. We yes. dig in deep. We we are beyond track podcast for a reason, and the listeners listen to us because we dig in deep to this stuff. But we're not the general audience. We're like the fringe 0.01% who can name all the episodes, know all the tech, can talk to you about anything everywhere all at once. Right. And 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 that's us, and that's our niche. But the general public who's watching Picard right now, you've got your, uh, you know, my, my in-laws watch it. They're in their 60s and 70s now. And they're watching it for fun. They're not going into the minutia like we do. Um, mm-hmm. You've got young people for whom this may be their first or second or third Star Trek. So they don't know all the minutiae like we do. We've got like 30, 30 odd years of history that we have watched over and over and over and over. The historical documents, as some might say from another yeah. franchise. <laughs> but, um, you know, so we dig in and we go, where are all the details that make everything make sense? 
our suspension of disbelief is harder because we have this buildup of knowledge. For the kids who are watching this, for the people who are watching it casually, for the general audience for whom this is pretty much targeted, because without the general audience, you don't really have a show. They're Correct. not digging into it like we are, and they're just going with the flow. Okay, so, right. All right, so they don't have the burden of the minutia to right. try to reconcile right. that part of I don't really feel of like it. there's anything to reconcile for this one, right? Like, it's not our mm. timeline. It's a small difference. Instead of trying to go to Mars or trying to go to Europa, which is the next thing out there, right? Like, it's but we also, not all that different. And it's we, not that far away, Big J, just to be clear, right? Like, a mission to Mars takes about nine months going and about 11 months coming back, usually, based on your typical orbit mm -hmm. windows, right? A trip to... Uh, the Jupiter system, which is just Jupiter and its low-lying moons, is about 17 months out and about 22 back, right? So it's really not all that different. If you can make it to Mars, the difference of getting to Jupiter is not all that great, with one exception. Radiation. Everything being in low orbit around Jupiter, like those moons, is going to get bombarded by a lot of radiation way higher than you would around Mars. So that's the only thing to worry about as far as difference goes. Are we talking so, about like the Van Allen radiation belts that are around Earth, but they're a lot more intense around Jupiter? Correct. Exactly that. It's all. It's exactly that's why Io, which is the volcanic moon in orbit of Jupiter, right? It's so volcanic because it's constantly flexing in and out from gravity, and because it's being bombarded by radiation from Jupiter. Cool. Okay. So yeah. that's the only thing that would be different. If you can make it to Mars, you can make it there. There's not much else to, to worry about. Is the radiation just reflected light? That's what light is. I mean, light yes. Light is a form of radiation. I, I know light is a radiation, but I mean, like. There's not like a nuclear geyser on Jupiter that's just sending out. Uh, I think not Renzo really. knows no. more than we know, though. Renzo's a watcher. <laughs> he he knows sent... something. Renzo's a watcher. Yeah. He was sent by the preservers. To keep us doing this podcast or to try to get us to stop? <laughs> One of us is a fixed point in time. <laughs> Here right, we go. Going back to the damn well, episode. I, I, more I understand all of that. The last thing I'll say is I, I understand all of that. I just have a problem with the presentation that this is all depicted very realistic, but suddenly we want you to accept this piece that really doesn't match the realism that we've been doing so far this whole season. That, that That's it. That's the last thing I'm... And you're probably not way. alone. If they had chosen to do Mars, right, it would have been much harder to justify finding sentient life on Mars, which is what supposedly she thinks she finds, right? Finding sentient life on Io or Europa is much more likely because either A, Europa has a water layer that's massive, there's more water on Europa than there is on Earth, and it's warm enough to remain liquid, or on Io it is so volcanically and energetically active that there is probably actually life developing there right now, right? It's like Earth's primordial soup, except there. So it's just far more likely to find something there rather than on Mars, because Mars is a dead-ass world. Yep. So That's the way we left it when we moved here. I actually I think was it's thinking the same reference. thing. Oh my I god! I think it's also a reference to 2010 Space Odyssey or 2001, 2001 and 2010. Okay. Right? Because remember, they're not supposed to go to uh, Europa. All these worlds are yours to explore, but don't go to Europa. Yeah. So. Well, and Anyways. we also have a real Europa mission on the book for 2024. So. Yeah, but it's just a probe. I'll probe. No, I'm not going to complete that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not talking about the Borg yet. We're not talking about the Borg yet. Okay. <laughs> Uh, going back to the scene, Renee is getting uh, talking to this therapist, and after like hearing a couple sentences, Picard is like, "Wait a second, that's fucking Q. Show me Q. Turn it around. Like zoom in enhance, right?" And whereas does, and we see it from we see the perspective of Q talking to her, and he is like, 
livid. I don't think Picard has ever gone from like annoyed to furious that fast before. It was great. That was pretty quick. Yeah, but it's part of that that makes me agree with you that it's a ruse that Q is intentionally riling up Picard to to do this while he's playing Soong under the table. It's just too obvious, right? Like I get that that Q has somehow lost his powers, and I find that fascinating. But there are other ways if he wants to throw this mission off that he could have done so. I don't know. This is the first time I've seen Q actually interfere and try to interfere with something that he's showing as a lesson. That's what's throwing me off. It's not a lesson. It's penance. It's not a lesson. What if Q is being screwed over by his own timeline change? That's That's not a bad idea. I was thinking, though, that this is somehow Q going rogue, right? Like, the continuum is like, you know what? Picard fucked it up. He killed that that Jurati queen, and that's the end of this. That's the end of that. And Q's like, no. No, no, no. I can fix... We gotta fix this. And the continuum's like, no, you can't do that. This is the natural course of events. Except... And so Q is the one fucking with it. Except things. there wouldn't be a Jurati queen if Q hadn't fucked it up in the first place. That's how time travel makes things complicated. I, right, and I get that. But my, my thinking is, is and and I, I don't know, just kind of hear me out. It, I was thinking, like, it's really weird that in the Confederation we're still fighting a rebellion on, on Vulcan while we're executing the last Borg ever. So that means the Confederacy, like, played it nice with the Vulcans, but went out there and just savagely annihilated the Borg by the 25th century. Well, just the Borg... 100% completely decimated we're killing the queen it's a big celebration but the vulcans eh, we're gonna deal with some rebellions on vulcan it's fine you know it's fine but what yeah, forget if... about it the borg were a much bigger threat not a problem not no disagreement there but what if and and i i don't know how this is possible just roll with me on this but what if the confederacy figured out a way to cut the queue off from their powers and the Q we have now is being affected by his own shit. I know it sounds freaking weird, but it's also... Not on board with that one. Not on board, not on board. I still think it's more likely that this is somehow a result of Q going a little too aggressive on what he's done, and either the Continuum is punishing him, or he has somehow fucked himself over with some change. Some change that happened as a result of this leaves him... Remember, this isn't the first time Q is mortal. Q made him. Q was made mortal once yeah, before as a punishment. I know, right? That's how I'm thinking of this. Might be related, but I don't know. Uh, but you know what? Corbin Birdson hasn't shown up. So, <laughs> all right. So next scene, we've got Doctor Adam Sung talking to a council of doctors uh, with this presentation that he's trying to convince them to approve of uh, to save his daughter, essentially. Um, and unlocking their own perfection. Uh, these other doctors are just not having it. Did you recognize nope. the main doctor? Yes. Yep. Leah Thompson. Mom? Mom, is that you? <laughs> We're good old Back to the Future, one, two, and three. Talking so about Sung... things to catch. Oh, okay, go ahead. So just Sung... don't end this scene until I get. No, mm-hmm. it's fine. Mm-hmm. So Soong explains that he's trying to do this research because he wants to save his daughter. Uh, because a single speck of dust would ruin her respiratory system. Ultraviolet sunlight would turn her blood into poison, etc., etc. And then the doctor uh, goes, we can't violate the Shenzhen Convention, which is not a real thing that I know of, and I've looked. I tried to find it, 
It's probably what ended the eugenics wars, but we don't know. Hopefully we find out more about it. Uh, and they ban him from pursuing any further research on genetics blunt, flat out. Yeah, because the eugenics war still happened. Dude, that's got me thinking about like ICE and Homeland Security in the in the in the era of a eugenics war. We don't know if the eugenics war has happened yet. So originally said it was like in the mid nineties, like nineteen ninety six is when Khan lifts off and leaves uh-huh, behind yeah. or whatever. However, they've made this very repeated thing of like records from that time are spotty. Maybe it was twenty thirty six instead of nineteen ninety six, whatever. They're not that bad. They don't know anything else about Renee Picard other than the fact that she found a microbe. She's literally the person who discovered alien life, and that's all they know about her? Come on. I see what you're saying there. Yeah, I Either way, point is, lots of EMPs go off in World War III. A lot of records get lost. Got it. That makes sense to me. Uh, But yeah, I don't know. Shenzhen Convention, what do you you guys think? Is that what ended the, uh, the eugenics war? Your, I think so. Leave your, leave your thoughts in the comments, please. Because that, that's kind of what what he's talking about, what Aaron Soon is talking about. I think it kind of relates to that, and they're <clears throat> not taking the chances. But did you also know one of the guys there was a Roshenko? Yeah, I saw that, Roshenko. Yeah, it's the last name. Yeah. Ancestor of the family that adopted Worf and raised Alexander because Worf is a bad father. Such a small world. Very small world, yeah. All right, so next scene is uh, a pissed-off Dr. Soong returning to, returning to his lab and being greeted by his daughter, Corey, who looks kind of familiar. I, I think I feel like we might have seen this actress in one or two places before. I think so. Um, but Issa Briones is great. Uh, she is a new character named Corey. And we're just left to wonder more. Why do all the Soong men look alike and why do all the Soong women look alike now? Yeah, Sense. more suspicious more suspension of disbelief very strong genes no i don't think it's suspension of disbelief i think it's that they're just genetically engineered what i think she's a test tube kid and so does dag we talked oh i yeah i totally agree that she's she's a test tube kid because when she asks about her mom when she's later on when she asks she's like when my mom a good swimmer and he's like um yes (laughs) like a duck yeah, no, he definitely, oh. and that's where I think the eugenics wars are going to come into play. Is that he may have been a scientist around the time they ended and stole a bunch of the research, just like his grandson or great grandson is fated to do in a hundred years or so. Eric soon. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So I'm, I'm with you there. I also think that the fact that they all look alike is also some sign of that genetic uh, engineering of their own. Like if you make all your own genes. Uh, not recessive, but dominant, right? You're going to pass along traits like your I don't think we're supposed to read yeah. that far into Brent Spiner playing every iteration of a, of oh, a soon. So you want to read into the fact that Mr. Minutia over here doesn't want to read, read into, into the facts. Hmm? <laughs> okay. I brought it on myself. I, I, right. now, I just, just want right. to say that Leonard Nimoy was against Minutia driving storytelling. So yeah. You got me. That was a good one. So we yeah. get this cool bit here where he's testing different <laughs> recipes for a a cure for her genetic abnormality. Uh, he's talking about how he's almost there, but the genetic sample that he tested says it has 99.83 chance of killing the subject. So I don't think saying he's almost there is at all correct. Not at all almost there. Nope. Yeah. 
So Corey falls asleep on the couch, and Sung is like upset. He's like annoyed, and then his computer screen uh, flashes, "I can help," and like a whole bunch of documents flash. And then it says, "Check your 3D printer," and he goes over to a laser sintering machine because uh, it's a it's like metal resin or metal goop, and it pulls out a metal card, and it is a stylized Q. And I suspect Big uh, Dag wants to do something here. Do you want to play the audio for what happened when you call? Is that what you're doing? I don't have the audio for it, but okay. if you're in the audience, rewatch the episode and you've seen it, and we'll put we'll put the phone number in the comments. Um, do you have the phone number? I could plug in my phone I'm, and I'm play actually, it. We'd be able to hear it. I'm actually gonna put it uh, right here on the screen with the the caption for the video from uh, Cygnus X1. Thanks, John. Oh, so you're gonna uh, do it in post? So yeah. no, it's right okay. here. It's right here. It's on right now. And okay. well, it's three two three six three four five six six seven. Yep. If you haven't called it, call it. Give it Worth a call. every second. Give it a call. Definitely. That's three two three six three four five six six seven. Do it before you continue them. I will say I would not have guessed that that was a phone number unless you had told me so, Dag. Because what was the I number? saw three two three six three four. Five six six seven. Go on, Renzo. Yeah, no, I just thought it was like an ID code or something, maybe like a social or some shit, but uh, I did not guess it was a cell phone number or a phone number rather. Yeah, no. Uh, living in California, three two three is the LA area code, so I was like, I'm. I paused the episode and listened to it right away. <laughs> uh, also, that cue is present in the opening credits. Yeah, I saw that. I went back and watched it like on my second viewing. Yeah. I didn't realize that that was a cue the first time. Which nah. is neat. It definitely so, feels like a tumbler. It looks like something that organizes itself into something else. So as a 3D printer, there was a little bit of weirdness about this scene, and I mentioned it to Dag as well. Uh, 3D printing is not very fast, generally speaking. Uh, it takes a bit of time, and that was a resin printer because of the support structure and how it's hanging upside down, but it was a metal resin Mm -hmm. 3d printer those are not something that you can just get at like a household level yet even by 2024 i'm still not expecting it unless something really different happens those are like hundred eighty thousand dollar machines true yeah. but remember yeah. that adam they don't Soong print is... in liquid they print in powder so even that's a little off adam soong is a at this point just recently disgraced scientist of sure. great renown I love that they did it this way. I have no complaints about using it this way. I'm just saying the 3D printers out there will know with me, like, if only you could print out something that size, that fast, that perfect from, like, four seconds, because that doesn't happen. So the guy who says that we can go to Jupiter doesn't think we can 3D print metal in four seconds. Oh, shut up. It takes that long to even warm it up, man. <laughs> no, I, I, I offered a counterpoint here. What if, I mean... We, we already get a sense in the future that Q knows how to time things precisely, so what if he just started printing this job before he needed to? Yeah. <laughs> it's a good thing it wasn't out of toner. But no, hey, so wasn't... Toner. I thought that whole thing... <laughs> wasn't... <laughs> wasn't that a bit extra? Like, why not just I put the damn it. number on the screen? Because it's Q-flexing. It is literally Q-flexing. Yeah. Hacked yeah. his network from external showed him tantalizing bits of info because that'll please him 
because at some point Adam's gonna drop this card and it's gonna get picked up by Raffi or the Borg Queen or somebody, and and they're gonna call it and it, and he's gonna be like, ah, I was wondering when you would hit me up, Captain, yeah, El Mon Capitan or whatever. <laughs> That's why we God. need this prop. I mean, we had Chekhov's gun. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Look at the background. <laughs> All right. So cutting to our next bit. We're back at the Chateau Picard, and we've got this, like, French gendarmerie who's, like, his name is, last name is LeCork. Hey, thanks uh, for calling him out appropriately. If I if I happen to know the name, I'll definitely try and say it. Yeah. He explores the house, flashlight in hand, uh, you know, calling out every now and then, but not hearing anything back. Uh, he's about to light a cigarette, and then he hears a shimmering across the field. And it's the last seat of this cloaking device, like, being imperfect because the ship is damaged to hell. So out he goes, runs inside, and he starts hearing like the calls of some poor damsel in distress with his gun drawn. Uh, he's like, this can't be real, looking around at this like spaceship that he's suddenly inside of. And uh, he finally approaches the board queen, uh, who's been saying things like, I can't see you, but just follow the sound of my voice. Uh, which is also a Star Trek reference, but... Um, the sound of her voice. Yeah, as soon as he gets close enough, some tentacles come out of her back oh and, like, grab Oh my gosh! Her. Okay, so all the references they're doing are all freaking time travel crazy references because the sound of her voice yeah. is a DS9 episode that involves some time wonkiness. Uh, Did he call in backup when he got there? I don't remember. Okay, so he's about to walk no, into something he that obviously looks like a... I would have. You walk into a room I mean, and you find out that the hanging or the hanging, you know, the thing that you probably thought was some kind of ornament or a lantern is talking to you and it's lantern. half a body. <laughs> and it's also making fun of the fact that he smokes cigarettes, right? Like, that's just mean. Yeah. yeah but, it's, like... but it's making fun of it in English. Like, he can't understand that unless he can. <laughs> he spoke in English in that scene. I missed it. Yeah. He was saying, like, stay where you are, I'm coming to you, or some shit like that, in English. So, Because most people in France do learn English in school. I am but a lowly American. Yeah. Is Pero, that a synonym for monolingual? Uh, no. Yo, uh, I mean, parlez franglais. No way. I speak Spanish. If you're going to say parlez franglais, that's, that's pretty funny. But... <laughs> Uh, I was going to say this actually earlier. The scene on the bus, the Spanish that they're all using, is very authentic. Everybody speaks Mexican Spanish except for Rios, because Rios' Spanish just kind of boggles my mind. Everybody else's Spanish is legit. But Rios? Yeah. Rios' Spanish is like Spain Spanish, but like spoken by someone who learned in like a prison almost. It's so weird to me. Oh. It's very, very... That's interesting uh, because I learned Castilian in school. Yeah, I mean, my my point is more so he speaks with a lot of inflection and slang that that shows that he was not like highbrow. It's like the opposite. Everything that he says comes off as very lowbrow. I mean, I don't know exactly why. Okay. Hmm. But yeah, everybody else on the bus just spoke just, regular. He's got regular Spanish. He's got the snooty Spanish down. Snooty. <laughs> He's got the opposite of the Snooty Spanish. Really? I thought that's what I'm saying. It's very lowbrow. I always thought Castilian was considered like 
high Spanish. The actor's Venezuelan, right? But he doesn't speak like a Venezuelan as far as I'm concerned. I I know many of them from back home in Miami, but he doesn't sound like he's Venezuelan. It sounds like he's trying to sound like a a non-Madrid Spaniard. That's Hmm. what it sounds like to me. But a non-Madrid Spaniard who was raised in like the rough side of town, right? Like the same way you would think of a a Cockney accent as being like the rough side of London, right? It's something equivalent to that. Hmm. Huh. Interesting. Well, okay. and that's what I get for having Spanish as a second language and not being able to pick that up. Yeah, I mean, really it's good perfectly intelligible. Time. It's very, it's intelligible. I can understand what he's saying. It's yeah, just like, I, it's just like, that's an interesting way to say that. Why did he say it like that? I get it. This? But my exposure to Spanish speaking communities is so limited that I yeah. don't know the accents. I don't know the regionality of it. So it's sad sad deviation here uh my grandmother uh she used to be really really good at like telling accents just by hearing somebody say like we would be in a supermarket and she'd hear somebody talking to somebody else and she'd be like oh she's from medellin but she was poor and no way to confirm it but she'd always do this sort of thing or like oh i love her accent she's got to be from barranquilla or that lady she's from buenos aires you can tell because she rolls her r's this wrong way that kind of stuff. Like, my grandma would be amazing about it. You know, I, I wish I could have run Rios past her before she got dementia. My, oh, yeah. my primary Spanish teacher was, was Cubana. And my Spanish has a very clear, like, Castilian-Cubana fusion going on. Because I don't say yo soy, I say yo soy. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the Cubana accent kind of gets that. I don't know what that's called, but it changes that Y from a ya to ya. Yeah, no, I've got a bit of a muttly Spanish, I guess, is how I'll phrase it. Miami is a Cuban city, right? But my family's from Peru, so I learned to speak Peruvian Lima Spanish, right? Which is a very conquistador-esque Spanish. It hasn't changed much since, like, 1500s, basically, right? So uh, my Spanish is considered very neutral. People can never guess what country I'm from. They can always just guess, (laughs) but you're not from here. You're from the one over, you're from next door. If I'm in Bolivia, they think I'm from Ecuador. If I'm in Ecuador, they think I'm from Colombia. If I'm in Colombia, they think I'm from Venezuela. It's just like, a, you're you're great, but you're not here. You're there, right? They're always <laughs> wrong. But so I have a Spanish that I'm told is very easy to pick up if you are not a native Spanish speaker is it's very clear and my diction is good. I don't know. But my point is, uh, I just wish I could have run Rios's like Spanish past my grandmother just to see what she thinks his accent sounds like or because she was really good about figuring out where people were from that way. And if any of you are wondering why I have nothing to say during this conversation, it's because I took German in school. Sprache so, Deutsch. Yep. Ja, ich spreche Deutsch. Okay. So, cutting back <laughs> to the episode, we're, we're, we are not even halfway, I think. Beyond oh, Language God. Podcast. Oh, man. <laughs> this was fun. Uh, okay. So, anyways, the, the scene ends with the queen shooting a... What, sounded mechanical but looked very biological tentacle at the uh the cop uh and that's where that scene cuts in a very hard like fade to black here's your commercial break kind of thing yep so back he's in getting, la uh, he's gonna get assimilated or something it's what it felt no I was over here thinking like she was going to make a new body for herself. <laughs> I yeah. was thinking, that's what I was thinking. I thought she was just going to be like, don't need these parts. Rip. Here are the legs. Attach. Yeah. <laughs> I was very like, oh, they're going body for horror. it. Yeah. It was very body horror for me. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right, so cut back to LA. We've got Dr. Sung meeting with Q at like some little diner. Uh, they they do some witty repartee back and forth. And, uh, you know, he doesn't want to deal with basement dwelling Nazis or rich heiresses trying to clone their fucking cats. Good use of verbiage <laughs> there. Loved it. We get we get a lot of, of Adam's personality here because he also says, you know, if you're just trying to waste my time or mess with my daughter or whatever, that I will kill to protect something. And, I, and he was like, yeah. that, I like, that's what I like about you. And I was like, okay, so Adam's, Adam's been here before. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, the fact that he's willing to kill suggests that he's been through a lot, right? Like, especially with the eugenics war theories that we were talking about before. Like, he's he's yeah. seen some shit. Well, it, I mean, what if he was the scientist that pushed the button to launch Botany Bay out there? Oh. Great way to get rid of your competitors. <clears throat> <laughs> and still all those embryos. There's no Cold Station 12 yet. <clears throat> I, I know this would have been a little too ham-fisted, I'm sure, but... I was kind of hoping Q would say something about his resemblance to I know an android that looks like you or something. I don't know. Some kind of recognition or You may get that in their further discussions. They're gonna meet again. Yeah. Some some kind of joke. Series isn't okay. over yet. Yeah. So we get a couple little quick references that I thought were pretty neat. I didn't pick this one up. Uh one of my best friends, Justin, picked this up with the whole like in seventeen seconds you're gonna be sitting down bit. Yeah. 17 is the letter Q in the alphabet. Oh. Which I think nice is pretty neat. He, he follows a lot of the crazy conspiracy theories on the internet, so he knows that 17 is for QAnon, so when he said 17 seconds, he was like, Q, ah. and immediately put it together. I would have never picked that up myself, because I don't follow right-wing crazies, but he, <laughs> he likes to torture himself. Everyone needs that friend to help you see a different uh, perspective mm-hmm. on something. Um, so we get that. We also get this fantastic line that's that Q says that is very dramatic and cryptic about like, I am the evolution of stardust. I am the gentle flutter of a butterfly. I am death destroyer of worlds, uh, which is all kinds of creepy. Um, yeah. Do you guys have any thoughts about this scene other than that? I want to go back and match the the what we're seeing the way we see Q here now to the way that we saw Q at the chateau back in the Confederacy because uh-huh. I'm I'm sort of tumbling on this theory that this is a past version of Q and the 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 version of Q that we saw at the chateau that told Picard this was a penance is a future Q. That's useful. I, I can see that. Uh, I, that's a, that's a bit much. Now that's a bit too much. Even if you're not into the, even if you're one of the non-minutiaed normal people, like no, you're not you know, wrong. everyone else, you're not wrong. Non-linear storytelling be, is difficult for a lot of people. Yeah. I get it. I, I just think that with people still talk about not being able to follow the plot of Inception. It's like, that's hard though. I mean, that's a tough one. I'd watch that like two or three times. That's okay. okay. It's a Christopher Nolan movie. They're known for that. You need to play more video games. I feel like video games make Inception storyline more understandable. I play a lot of games, probably not the right games. Or just watch Back to the Future like a thousand times and have one shelf on your DVD rack devoted to time travel movies. The non-linearness is just like, oh yeah, that's how it worked. Okay, got it. I have a time travel movie recommendation for you, Dag. Uh Uh-oh. The Final Countdown. I've seen it. 
Okay, good. It's where they launch. They they throw a a, a nuclear uh, an aircraft carrier back into World War II. Yeah, I have one for you, and it's Spanish. Los los cronos los cronocrimenes. Time crimes. Criminals. Time crimes. It is, in my opinion, it is the best example of uh, looping time travel that I have ever seen. Warning, um, warning for nudity. But uh, okay, well, I mean, we're all adults here. But uh, well, and the audience, I want to warn the audience of anybody who's ah, taking this. You know, don't show your children. You know, yeah. If you're <laughs> if you are under the age, don't ask your parents. Don't tell them some guy on the internet told you to watch this movie because it's the best time travel movie ever. But it is, and uh, we it's also we also ticked the box on YouTube saying this show isn't for kids. So if you are one, we did our diligence. We have no liability. I, I think that this this is the cue that we've always known, and it's not so much penance, but he seems to really have beef. Something, something's pissed him off. Something has negatively impacted him, and I think that. No. Go ahead. Well, okay, so because he's trying to, as a therapist, talk Rene Picard out of doing the thing, because we've not seen Q interfere like this before in one of his, whether it's a lesson or penance or whatever, he's not interfered like this, which tells me that, yes, he wants penance for for Jean-Luc Picard. Somehow, somewhere, something, some way, He's done something that impacted Q in some negative way, and he's he's real pissy. And but like eh, there, we're gonna have to see the whole season. There's yeah. a couple pieces yes. that don't quite make sense, but I can tell he's got a special kind of angry at Jean Luc Picard, well, especially after he pimp slapped him a couple episodes ago. I don't ago. think he's all that mad. I think he's more disappointed. I think that Ooh, that's the perspective that's... of him. On this. I mean, first. First, Q's pissed off that he wasn't written in to stop Picard from dying the first time. Mm-hmm. So he's mad at the writers of the 20th century. He's trying to get back <laughs> at us. He's breaking the fourth wall on that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but, you know, secondly, I just want to I want to point out a thing that I see in fandom altogether is people tend to be upset if the plot threads aren't resolved by the end of the episode and they're totally yeah. just not getting the fact that streaming like this, it, it, the stories are not cut and dry like things aren't episodic anymore and and you have to you can be mad you can totally be mad totally valid but give the show the leeway to answer the question by the end of the story which isn't necessarily the end of the episode or the end of the series or the end or sorry the end of the season yeah but give give the show the leeway to be like you know what i have this lingering question out there i think it should be resolved this way let's see what happens and let's not be mad that the question that we just had isn't answered within 15 minutes of the question popping up. Because not everybody has the same question either. A lot of right. us are just going through the show. Yeah, you're right. right. So uh, what I was just saying before, though, just to wrap this up before we go back to the episode, is I think that she was made to look bad by Picard blowing up the Jurati Queen. I think that she was That's very controversial, his... the Jurati Queen. I don't think so. I think that uh, Q might have staked some of his reputation towards humanity is doing better, Picard is doing better, they're worth keeping around. And then when they did this, it made Q look bad. So that's why he's pissed and disappointed with Picard and such. 
Could be. Alright, after all, back. the whole point of all good things was that, you know, for that infinitesimal second, you were open to accepting possibilities you would never have considered, never have dreamed of. And that was the whole point, was when the chips are down, don't react with fear. Right. Alright, so, going back to the episode, uh, so there's this moment where Q uh, offers Sung a vial of blue liquid, saying that this moment isn't about what I want, this is about what you want, so here you go, analyze it, and if you like what you see, give me a call. And then uh, maybe then I'll tell you what I want. That was the part in the trailer that I thought was a bullet. I was like, he's got some kind of weird-ass bio bullet that's going to do a thing, so I'm glad that I was wrong. Like a silver bullet to kill a werewolf? No, no I thought he was actually hiring somebody to kill Picard. And originally, oh. originally when I was like way out there, I thought he was going to like kill Cisco. Oh, <laughs> well. All right, <laughs> he was really gone. It looked the like the little like bioweapon bullets that they had in like Alias, because it looked a lot like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they did. Wouldn't be too hard to get the prop department to make another one. Nope. All right, so cut to our next scene. It is. Uh, back in Talon's apartment, uh, Talon is asking the question that we've all been wondering: Why didn't Q just snap his fingers and make the Europa mission ship disappear, or Renee herself disappear? And Picard's like, I don't know. But sounds like that's us. Exactly. That's the same reaction we've got here. We don't <laughs> yeah. know what's going on. All we can do is guess. Hopefully, as Dag said, that by the end of the story, they do explain this a bit because it is pretty mystifying. Uh, then why didn't he just kill her? That might be too much. As an appliance guy, that Butterflies. is the thinnest refrigerator I have ever seen. You guys may <laughs> not be following along on Cygnus, but just for the audience, if you can see this, like that refrigerator is like 18 inches wide. That's tiny. Maybe it's just a whole... Most refrigerators are 24 to 36 inches wide. So... I'd I mean, love I to like, have one of these. It'd be great for. I love the decor of her apartment. It had this real like 1960s future tech vibe to it. It was Art Deco. I liked it a lot. No, it was great. Retro TV. Right. Uh. Anyways, this is where they're going over the timeline of the pre pre launch for Renee, and you know Picard jokingly asks if they have any sedatives to just knock her out until she has to get on her flight but you know she's got to attend this gala oh what gala and uh here's where we get the setup for the rest of the episode I I like a good caper same I mentioned that I love it. too so yeah uh, uh quick quick note here while I was watching the episode for the first time, I basically just like live streamed my thoughts to Dag the entire time, like mm -hmm. just stream of consciousness of nonsense. So, and that happened right. in the first season of Picard. Happening now, I I love it. Just Ocean's Eleven the hell out of this whole thing. It's great. I think we should have that every season. A good old fashioned caper. All right, so we get this fun little bit of a uh, dialogue where Talon. Uh, refuses to just take orders from Picard. Like, you're under the assumption that I take orders from you? Like, it was pretty good. I like the fact that Picard is being put in his place a little bit. 
it's yeah. no the sheer fucking hubris, but there's a little bit of pushback against them anyways. Uh, I mean, okay. this is this is a person who otherwise had no reason to trust him. No reason to trust him, but without any of this involved, had pledged to non-interference. It was right. her job to watch Renee's life and never interfere with it, and here comes along this dude who's a descendant of Renee's, for all we know, who suddenly is like, we need to protect her at all costs, and that includes breaking your pledge. Yep. Well, what is the extent of that non-interference? If she's supposed to watch over her, then why, if you... Is she supposed to live? Is she supposed to die? If you're not interfering, why are you taking just this blind chance of either happening? Is she just a passive observer we don't know and not we really or the, we don't know what the limits are on her mission right she so. doesn't come off to me as an obi-wan kenobi who's watching over <laughs> luke but he's not this a passive quite, observer he ooh. wants to make sure nothing happens to this boy this is the second one of these people we have encountered in 50 years we don't know anything about them and even more so the 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 species 10a behind them right in the beta canon, they're called the Aegis, and we do learn a little bit about them. They are a non-humanoid race from the future who are trying to keep things from, like, changing, because if they change, it might undo their existence in the future. Well, we've already hit that threshold. <laughs> right. Okay. Yikes. All right, so, so uh, anyways, at this point, Picard brings up the very good argument that, like, you protected her for 24 years. Something's going to happen. I know something's going to happen. We have a better chance of saving her if we work together. Which, you know, it's a pretty convincing argument. So we cut to our next scene, which is back on La Sirena. <laughs> and the queen begins calling out to Gerardi. Oh, Agnes. It's very creepy, especially over the loudspeaker. Yeah. I have a surprise for you. No, I didn't like any of that. Those. And there's the shot. And the courtship to the Chekhov's, dark side continues. Chekhov's shotgun. Yep. So at that moment, as soon as she wakes up, she like looks around. She hears the voice. She looks at the mantle. We see the shotgun right behind me, and uh, it was great. Uh, she runs off, finding to the ship. She finds the queen with one of her like tentacly appendages, which again looks very biological. It looks like a squid arm or an octopus this arm. Feels so alien to me. Like not not like alien, like weird, but like alien, like the movies. Yeah. Yeah. Like with the tail kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Definitely an uncomfortable looking thing. Anyway, she's holding the policeman's body. She's talking about how, you know, I don't need him. I want you right i can take his legs but i'd rather have you right like this very back and forth uh uh what she has versus what she would rather have and she goes back into her psychological bullshit of like gerardi you're alone in every reality you're alone if you just join me it'll be the collective who loves you and don't you want love love and you know gerardi's looking like real uh, convinced by it for a half second there she did. I'm telling you, it's she's going to be the Anakin Skywalker of Star Trek Picard. I I had a lot of friends who were talking about how this scene recounted a lot of gaslighting abuse situations, and it was hard yep. to watch for them. 
And so I just want to validate that for anybody who's listening. Like, yeah, there are a lot of people who thought this was a really rough scene, and you're not the only one. I mean, the queen being a manipulative bitch is nothing new. Yeah, right? uh, what so. was it that I sent you that we've never had a an effervescent, menacing seductress. queen? No, I didn't yeah. say seductress, because she doesn't feel seductive. Alice Cridge was seductive. Susanna mm-hmm. Thompson was seductive. Anne Wershing is effervescent and menacing at the same time. Yes. It's like talking to a bubbly, cloy nuclear bomb. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I don't like it. I get the same feeling. Like I told you guys in our last episode, that the difference between the Borg Queen portrayal in First Contact and Voyager in this one, it's definitely different. I'm I'm I would think that someone would be more intimidated by this queen and the portrayal than the one we saw in first contact. Well this queen's it's, been through a lot though. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah, she's freaking crazy. And so I wanna disagree with you a little bit though, Dag, right? Like I I think she's very seductive, just not necessarily in like a sexually seductive way. She's doing this whole like more of an S and M seductive way. I mean, all queens have that, but sure. no, I think it's more of a seductive in a the allure of the collective, right? Like, I can be your best friend. Come to me. I'll, I'm all you've ever needed. It's very much the manipulator's handbook kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I, it's there's okay, no point to argue about this. You've but... seen Labyrinth. Yeah. Just yeah. Just do what I ask, and I will be your slave. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely an unsettling scene. I'm with you there. <laughs> so at the end of the scene, though, after the queen's like implores Gerardi to just be like, "Okay, well, I'm just gonna assimilate him unless you offer me yourself. You're not gonna shoot me. You need me to go home." And uh, the doctor raises the shotgun, looks down the iron sights, and. Uh, pulls the trigger and we hear the bang so at this moment i messaged dag saying like she killed him she killed the cop no way no way she didn't shoot the cop she the i hostage. was certain of it right? I, like from speed i kind of agreed as well like when i first watched it i was like yeah she shot the dude that's a fucked up situation to be in but she wouldn't have killed the queen she would just kill the way that he has to she has to assimilate him okay so does one usually display a shotgun on our mantle loaded? If you're a Picard, yeah, absolutely. Remember Otherwise, when they, left. they wouldn't have Remember one. Remember when they left? 1940s when we fall of France. Uh-huh. I would wager that thing has been armed since 1942. The fact that it didn't misfire is a miracle. Yeah. The fact that I she mean, knew how to operate it. Well, she's a cyberneticist. She knows how to push buttons. And she took antique coding in, uh, at uh, Daystrom. She also plays video games. Maybe they have a version of COD in the 25th century. She programmed, oh. she programmed Patton Oswalt as a cat. <laughs> <laughs> but where's the safety switch? Shit, I don't know. What it's is a, it it's like? a shotgun from the 40s. It probably doesn't have a safety. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And it's probably older than that because it's like it's like a manor house, right? Like it's not going to be like a cutting edge 1940 shotgun. It's going to be some old thing that somebody keeps down in the, that's, by the river. That's the shotgun that you have on the mantle just in case there's trouble in the yard and Pa's got to go check it out. <laughs> I don't know how to say that in French, though. 
<laughs> but yeah, I thought it was a, a very good swerve because I, I expected it to go that she shoots the guard, she shoots the cop, she needs the queen, she disappoints the queen, the queen's going to rage about taking away her fun, but blah, 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 whatever. Nope, didn't expect it. Um, I also wanted to say, though, that I thought that the cinematography for the scene reminded me a lot of the Breaking Bad episode where uh, they shoot the new assistant in at the door. Do you remember? Do you guys remember that? It was the season finale for one of the seasons? I've seen the whole show, but I don't... What show? Breaking Bad. Oh, it has been a long, long time. Yeah, it's, it's been a while. Do you... Could you tell me... Tell us more of the context behind that scene, like what else was happening or... So do you remember when they gave Walter White his like own lab assistant? Yes. Okay, do you remember when um, his original assistant goes and shows up at his door and holds a gun at him, and then yes. the season ends with it cutting to black and you hear the bang? Yes. That, that cliffhanger. Oh, we thought Jesse... You weren't sure if shot. Jesse killed him or if he right. just shot. Okay, I, yeah, I know what you're talking about now. All right. Yeah, it, it, in the end, yes, Jesse did kill him. I assumed Jesse had killed him. I assumed that from the beginning. But yeah, I don't know. It reminded me a lot of that scene, which I thought was pretty cool, because that scene won a lot of awards for being really well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Next scene, we've got Dr. Soong back in his lab analyzing the little blue substance that Q provided him. It seems stable. It has a 100% chance to protect Korei from whatever is wrong with her. And uh, so... He seems rather enthused, so they go outside. And here's one of the things that I thought was very interesting for the episode. Those little mini drones with, like, the yep. blocking shield. Pretty wild. They reminded me a lot of those shields that were over the Confederation's Earth. Yeah. Uh, protecting it from UV damage and everything else. Pretty neat. It's also part of why I think that maybe Soong is more involved in this plot line than than Renee Picard. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Like, here's a possibility for you, right? Okay. Maybe Adam Soong is supposed to die, right? Maybe somehow by doing all of this, uh, Q actually saves his life so he survives. And he takes this technology that, like, blocks sunlight uh, with these shields and makes himself rich on it. It has nothing to do with genetics at all. It's just this technology. And because of that technology existing, the nations of Earth never decide to limit their carbon dioxide pollution. They spiral off into civil wars here, but knowing that these shields technology protects the Earth kind of thing, right? And that's what changed history. Whereas in the original timeline, uh, Adam Swing gets hit by a bus and dies, and the shield technology never goes anywhere. So the only person who ever had them was him and his little drones in his apartment. I would believe that if the Adam Soong statue in the Confederacy wasn't espousing eugenics, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah. Uh, fair, fair. Now, that's not to say again, that somebody didn't just, like, mythologize him and go into his writings and be like, no, this is totally what he would say, and they went off of that, but... Oh, um, I mean, you can find fake quotes for everyone these days. Yes. I, no, no. Abraham Lincoln told me specifically to stay off the internet. I got, a, I got an <laughs> email from him that I had to forward to 15 people. <laughs> All right, so she, or sorry, Corey takes the medication. She injects herself with it. Uh, she questions where he got this breakthrough from, and Sung is evasive and says he got it from a colleague, or rather, the inspiration came from a colleague. Uh, he disables the drone net. 
the shields blocking out the sun go away. She gets the unfiltered sunlight for the first time, and then she goes for a swim. We get the awkward conversation about how was my mother a good swimmer? Uh, like a duck. Uh, like a mermaid. Uh, very awkward. I'm with Dag on this one. I think she's a test tube baby. So, I I think she's an augment. Could be too, but a broken one. We've yeah. seen broken yeah. augments before. Yeah. Yep, that's yeah. that's where I'm thinking with this one. So, did we get to the point where the bad thing happens? Oh, we were right there. And oh. then after like a little while, uh, while she's talking to her dad, um, Adam is like, we should just take this moment to like enjoy things, like enjoy this time. And she's like, patience uh, requires time in the sense that she doesn't think she has much time, period. And that's when she's struck by this like spider webbing black vein spreading around her eyes and across her neck. And, so, uh, not so good. pop quiz. Mm -hmm. Name another disease in Star Trek where you see the spider webbing black veins erupt along a person's body or face. Well, the one that I remember, they were actually blue veins. It was when Jordy was on a way mission. Okay, so, so there's, years before, and... there's the Tarchanon 3 episode, yeah. Uh-huh. I'm going with... You're thinking of another one? I'm thinking of the Blight. And the only reason I'm thinking of the Blight is because the daughter's name is Corey, and the main person on in the Blight episode, her name was Ikoria. It was just a weird... It has nothing Good to do quiz. with the plot. There is no connection. I just thought it was a weird alignment of... Corey, Ikoria, Black Veins, Blight. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, the Trichanon 3 one is the one that I was thinking, right? Because I remember yeah. the like glow-in-the-dark veins that came yeah. out of nowhere. Yeah, that, that was Identity Crisis. Yeah. I, I'm thinking yeah. of the Blight. That, that was a good one. All right, so soon practically brings the drone field back online, saving his daughter, we think, and then cut the scene. I can't um, imagine the kind of pain that someone would be in to have like, their veins just like... Zzzz. I'd be like... I can't even talk right now. No. <laughs> I can't ah. scream. Everything hurts. I mean, we have to imagine that this is not the first time that this has happened to her, right? Like, right. He must have, these must have happened, like, to some extent before. And that's the other thing, right? Like, we know that it's not just UV light that's fatal to her. It's also, like, a speck of dust in mm -hmm. the air, right? Mm -hmm. Or some pollutant in the water. So whatever these drones are that are flying around... They are very good at filtering out anything that might be dangerous to Corey. That's pretty sophisticated. Yeah. If you ask me, and... It's very Iron Man level tech stuff. Yeah, it is. Yeah. What we need to do is play Back in Black. Well, okay, here's my question. Did she... Did she naturally age like Boba Fett? Or accelerated age like the clones? Because... That's a lot of years to have to find a way to keep your child away from dust. I mean, when back when Nacho was a kid and we thought he had a, uh, a gluten allergy, you would be surprised. It was like almost impossible to find anything that didn't have gluten in it. And luckily that's not what it was, but it's just, to me, that seems like that would be freaking impossible to keep a, a child let's let's say that his daughter is in her 
mid to late 20s. My thought is, is that without that technology, that in the, in the 2000s, when she was born, between the 2000s and now, to be able to have the technology to, to avoid all that, protect her, it's a little bit of a stretch. That's why I'm feeling a little more of the augment vibe or the, or the clone vibe that she has an accelerated aging because I'm having a hard time with 20 plus years of her being, I, I know you're probably thinking bubble boy. That was, yeah. I mean, it's happened in real life. So the fact that yeah. it doesn't have to happen in the sci-fi situation, especially for somebody as brilliant as Adam Sung. Eh. Yeah. It, okay. It, it could go both ways. Yeah. You're, you're right. It's not impossible. No, to be fair, whether she's an augment or a clone or a test tube baby doesn't really make a difference. She's not a natural kid is the point. Correct. Yes. Okay. Agreed. So going to our next scene, we've got Rappy 7 and uh, Rios beaming onto La Sirena with uh, Gerardi beaming them up on the console. They look up and see her covered in blood and her first reaction is, don't worry, it's not my blood. Huh. And then she apologizes and goes, I'm sorry, I think I may have just killed our way home. Um, the <laughs> you did what? You left, the... you left the naive cyberneticist with the manipulator of all beings and didn't think something was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Whose here's idea my, was this? Here's my favorite like line in the entire episode. There's the great moment where uh, the the cop, LeClerc, is unconscious in sick bay, and Gerardi goes, I repaired most of his internal organs. Most? Most? <laughs> his spleen is being held in the box over there. Yeah. I cracked up at that one. That was really good. Uh, anyway, oh, uh, she explains the whole thing. The Borg Queen is killing him. Uh, she hated having to shoot the Queen, but there was no real choice. Uh... Well, said there was no real choice. Were... She had a well. Sorry, trying not to talk my mouth full. She could have made the smart choice. Don't shoot your way home. And right. Find an alternative way. Go to the Guardian of Forever. Go forward with that instead. I'm sorry. The 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 calculations that were made on the first trip could be extrapolated because they're probably still on the computer. Oh. presume that she didn't just keep that in memory her memory find the file shit I stole from the Borg Queen no what There's... I think is actually more possible is remember how uh, in First Contact when uh, Picard was rooting around in the chest of Ensign Lynch yep and pulled Ensign out like, the subprocessor or whatever Yeah. Mm -hmm. maybe use that take out her processing units like repurpose them plug that node right into the ship yeah uh, could be bad Anyways, so anyway, uh, Gerardi expresses that she has like shame and like regret about having killed her, uh, but Seven's like, a few billion people would disagree with you that she was worth keeping alive. Yeah, it's probably yeah. more than a few billion. It's probably higher, but oh, yeah. uh, anyways, at this point, Picard and Talon arrive on the upper deck and are looking down and seeing Raffi and Rios pulling the body of the cop along and there's more funny witty repartee between everyone it is good dialogue there another really funny scene uh is when 
Raffi and Picard are like walking and talking down the hallway about Laris and how she or Talon looks like Laris. And are we going to talk about this? Nope. Don't you think it's kind of creepy that like, yep, <laughs> uh, good talk. Yeah. Leave it alone. That was, that was really good. <laughs> are you going to get over it? Yeah, because I have. <laughs> Let's just. And I, I love that because if they if that's the last thing that's said about that, it'll be I think that'll be a something to the fans that well it's just is what it is you're not supposed to read that much into it even though we're driving the minutia people crazy that this could be you know why do they why is it the same actress why did picard think that was Lair since she has There's no idea plenty of time to explain it right sure so, yeah. yeah that'll be a good one to explain yeah. all right uh then we go back to uh soon's lab who has called Q to join him. Um, he asks if he's got the real cure, not one that wears off. I'm a hostage to you if you do, which is accurate. A parent's love for their kid do anything to save their kid like that. Yep. Yes, yes. Uh, Q explains that what he needs is uh, someone to remove an obstacle from both of them. An obstacle for both of them, mind you. And uh, does the name Picard mean anything to you, is how he phrases it. Oh, that that just I can't I, I wish that this was a series you could binge and not have to suffer each week because it's killing me why does Q have this beef with Picard what what suddenly has got him which Picard where... was he talking about though Big J it could be either I don't, I I don't mean, think it's it Picard, really it's Picard. and if it's Renee it's still Sean Luke yeah, I at this point I don't think that that really matters. The thing that just has me miffed is if if Q is trying to stop Renee from going into space. There's something about stopping her from going into space that has some kind of ripple effect. Okay, but the way he's going about it, if if you want to stop someone from doing a thing and it's that important to you there's other ways to do it besides pretend you're a therapist and try to hope to somehow inception her to talk her out of it why not just like bop her in the back of the head with a hammer or a rubber mallet something it just seems odd it's really really strange that he wants to interfere, yes, but not to the point to where he really wants to get the job done. It's got to be something subtle, right? Like, the card doesn't, or sorry, Q doesn't like the hammer approach for things most of the time. He lets people make their own mistakes, or he slightly nudges people into making those mistakes at best, right? Uh-huh. The only exception to that is when he gave Riker those Q powers, in which yeah. case he, he interfered, but then he let uh, Riker make his own mistakes again, right? Yes. I don't think Q is of the mindset that I'll just take a hammer to it. Smash it with a hammer. No, that's not cute. That's Kronk. No, Yzma. Yzma. Mm -hmm. uh, anyways, but yeah, it's it's an interesting scene just because we get this setup of like why Adam is now working with Q. It's because he's literally a hostage because he wants to save his kid. So that gives us some some patience with the character until he realizes that he, what he's doing is wrong somehow. Yeah. Okay. Some sympathy towards him at least. All right, back to the chateau. We get the scene I was talking about before with Raffi talking to Talon about the resemblance, or sorry, Raffi talking to Picard about Talon and the, re and the resemblance to Laris. 
Picard, as we discussed, no interest in following up on that conversation. Has Seven uh, met Q before? Yes. Yeah. You sure? Remember? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. In Voyager. Voyager. The episode? I'll look Q. it up. Is it the um, Q in the gray? No, not the Q in the gray. It's, um, I can describe everything that happened in the episode, but the, the name is me. The sun one. The sun. Yeah, okay. Junior? Yeah. But she... All right, no, we're there. But yeah, Q, Q the father and Q the son. Yeah, I don't need the deeds. I just needed to remember that they actually met. Yes. All right, so as soon as uh, Talon shows them the therapy session, Seven goes, what is Q playing at? Which is probably why you're asking the question. Uh, but yeah, it was interesting to see that as a group, they're all able to put together that Q is doing this. Uh, and this is where we hear the whole notion that records from this time period are wildly complete. Uh, the century leading up to first contact was ripe with chaos. Again, back to the EMPs that I mentioned before, probably that went off. Uh, but the, all that we know is that Renee discovered a microorganism on IO, even though their mission was to Europa, uh, that she insisted and convinced the mission commander to bring back to Earth and she was convinced that it was sentient. Don't know anything else. It's not an easy jump to get from one moon of Jupiter to the other. It's not impossible. Well, maybe maybe but... the Europa mission, they just called it Europa, but it was a planned mission to visit the moons. Yeah, the four Galilean moons are usually, like, they're near-ish each other, but unless I you're mean... planning to go to all of them, you wouldn't have the extra fuel on board. We well, need it's called the Jovian mission. We need to look up a, uh, a moon transit map for Jupiter to see how close those two moons are going to be in April of 2024. Or even, well, if it's going to take them several months, we're only concerned about the launch. So let's go to like October, November of 2024. But you said how yeah. long? Like 11 months? It should be 11 months there. Okay. So January 2025, is there uh, kind of an alignment between them where they would be close enough to... Uh, Why be interesting. They... Well, even so, it has no bearing on the story. This is just us getting into the minutia again. Right. But if you're going to Europa, how does going there somehow connect to, well, we found sentient life on Io? If the so, Europa mission is to explore the Galilean moons, we go to Europa, we go to Io, we go to, is it Ganymede? And, yeah, or Callisto. And, yeah. Or Callisto. And so then we go and we check all of them out. Maybe we drop probes that are automated like drones and they soft land or do some kind of scan. Mm -hmm. And then uh, somebody says, hey, over here on IO, there's a blip. Wally says there's life here. And so <laughs> we, uh, we go to IO and we're like, hey, you know what? This isn't just life. It's responsive. It anticipates. It's, it's conscious and aware. So let's do this. And then we bring it home. And so sometime in 2025, 2026, uh, we end up with some kind of uh, organism on Earth. But totally skipping the I, bell rise. No, I'm with you, though, <laughs> Dag. If their initial mission is to go and get, like, all of the Jovian moons, then, yeah, they bring fuel for that, right? But if yeah. their mission was go to Europa, settle, or touch down on Europa, do exploration on Europa, and then they somehow end up on Io, that's outside of mission like fuel parameters well, we wouldn't be able to do both probably we don't even know if io is part of the mission parameter it could be a future right. mission but true. if but if she cracks now she never goes on that future mission very true uh-huh 
All right, so this whole scene is just interesting because they're just putting things together. Uh, they must be able to go to this gala, uh, but they can't have any contact with her, right? Uh, so right. it's an interesting setup. So we got the caper set up here. Cisco's 11. Cisco's 11. Picard's 11. <laughs> Picard's 11, but I'm thinking bada bing, bada bing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's why I like these. That's why I'm all in favor of capers, because we got that in DS9. That was great. Besides DS9, uh, I cannot think of any other caper like that. If you want to count the Magnificent Ferengi, maybe, but I'm, I'm thinking... Magnificent Ferengi is absolutely a caper. Okay. All right. Yeah. Pop well, and all. Uh, yep. I love. I love how they trash. We'll call it a caper. The chateau set to make it look all messed up like this, but it's still the same room. All right. Oh. So neat, neat bit here is the whole the whole maximum security event that is this gala has higher security standards than anything in the Starfleet we've seen. Right. <laughs> like they're doing biometrics. They're asking for ID, and they're also doing like facial recognition in the party while everybody's just hanging out and talking. And they're doing well enough that they can tell when somebody's talking to themselves. Right. So well, that's not too hard. You still see... taking advantage of air gapping. <laughs> so I did love that. The whole, like, uh, I took antique coding in school. It'll take me two minutes to hack the database. That was great. Uh, I appreciate it. I'm in. It. I'm in the mainframe. She can hack the Gibson. I want... <laughs> hack the Gibson! Hack the planet! Hack the planet. Yeah. <laughs> just I don't want, do two idiots one keyboard i, I will stop watching star trek forever i want a an enamel europa mission pin i want one if you find me a 3d printer bowl like stl for it i'll just print it for you <laughs> do you guys oh, get that if you haven't seen the scene dude. the reference i was just making on youtube look up it was from ncis two idiots one keyboard you know the scene, you know the scene? Oh, i yeah. hate that's not I, even the dumbest thing on TV. The dumbest one is oh still God. the first episode of Scorpion. The TV show Scorpion's first episode is more offensive about like bad computer stuff than that. Dude. Really? Yeah. Wow. Watch did, it. It's amazingly bad. Did did okay, so Cygnus X1 on screen right now, we've got like an image of Renee Picard's ID. She was born July first, nineteen ninety six. So Which she's is the date that first contact came out. Uh yes. Uh, she's also that makes her 28. Her there's something in here about 112296, um, which is apparently inaccurate because French passports would put the day then the month then the year. Uh, okay, so there's 22 months in this timeline then. Um, no, no, that's why I'm saying that the it's actually wrong. Like identity verification says July first ninety six, but it also says eleven twenty two ninety six. Yes, it does. Eleven twenty two ninety six was when first contact was released. Right. First contact was released November twenty second nineteen ninety six. Right. Didn't and, you didn't you say July first? Well, there's another thing I on here one of those about was July first nineteen. So July first nineteen ninety six was the was when uh, Independence Day. Independence Day came out July 3rd, but it took place the 1st, the 2nd, the 3rd, the 4th. Um, but 11-22-96, 11-22-63 is the day that Kennedy got shot. And there's a Stephen King book about time travel called 11-22-63. 
Okay. I think we've gone off the rails here, boys. We always do. That's what we do. Beyond the rails. That is what we do. Now I'm looking at what what came out in July of 1996, just to see if... Independence Day. Yeah. I was going to yeah. say, though, that Frakes directed this episode, so I think that the, the first contact reference is probably the most intentional one. Mm-hmm. Probably. Uh, okay. Probably. But it says that, but Talon says she's been watching her for 24 years, so either she didn't arrive at birth. Right. First four years are safe. All right, but yes. one more thing before we, before we jump. There's this great moment where... Uh, they're deciding who's going to be the one to go into the party and hack their systems, and it's like, well, obviously Jurati's the one to do it. And then Rios is like, wait, you're sending the roboticist, not the Fenris Ranger or the ex-Starfleet Intelligence spy? <laughs> and Picard is like, no. She's got this. And that's such like, a good like moment of kudos from someone you, you respect, somebody you want to be your dad, literally. Mm-hmm. And he's saying that you can do this, you trust me, he's got full faith in you. Like that's good for Gerardi's ego for sure. It's that's what she needs. It's the it's the it's the audience asking the question. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> he asked the question we were asking. Yup. So cut to the gala. Now we get why the episode is called this, and they're suddenly playing "Fly Me to the Moon." Yeah, and it's just going on. <laughs> um, Gerardi enters under the identity of Holly Visser. Uh, and she looks amazing in that red dress. Yes. She, she can wear that thing. Uh, it's great. Mm-hmm. The cop, or sorry, the security guard who's like scanning her badge uh, asks for another form of ID. She offers a like driver's license, which apparently is a very legit looking California driver's license. That and they were able to it. get that quickly. I'm sure. They were <laughs> in, they can print things. If okay. not, if not her, I'll bet you that uh, eh. Talon can print it. They just put a stamp over the actress's actual ID. All right, up. Talon, miss not interference herself. Okay, so anyways, yeah. they go inside. Gerardi uh, goes over to a table, gets a glass of champagne, and is talking to herself. The cameras pick it up, and she gets picked up as a party crasher. Uh, they take her into the surveillance room where she is handcuffed and the two mooks there start talking about how she's probably from Kingston Hill or something? What was it? Uh, oh, it was, it was one of the rich places in LA. Oh, yeah. Not Kingston Hill, but uh, yeah. is basically yeah, I, where all the Karens come from. Yeah. Okay. Is, yeah talking talking yourself, is, is talking to yourself suddenly a crime now? Well, they suspect that she's pressed, right? If she's talking to herself, she's wearing a mic. It's not about oh, being a crime. Yeah. It's about being a trespasser. Beverly Hills? Then they think she's... I don't know. Yeah. I, isn't Beverly Hills the, the Karen capital of California? Ish. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember what the location that they said she was from was, but it was something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the location that tells you that you'll get sued if you do anything. Allison Pill must be very short because everybody in there towered over her. How uh, tall Allison is Pill is very short. If you've seen her in any other show that she's been in or any movie she's been in, she is tiny. I watched her in the newsroom. Loved her. I love that show. Yeah, that Scott show Pilgrim is vs. the World. Crazy awesome. Watch that. Yes, that too. And in both, she is towered over by people. Yep. 
right, I'm pulling up the scene so I can. She's five six and a half. That's not even really that short. These other people must be unnaturally tall. Says the dude who's six five. <laughs> right. You're a foot taller than her. She'd come up to like your collarbone. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Right. Easy for me to say, right? Yeah. My I mean, forehead she's... is staring Jay in the nose. That's the problem. <laughs> I mean, Allison Pill and I are basically the same height, so it's cool. Right, right. So, so you'd be looking at my sternum, basically. So, okay. Newport yeah. Beach is apparently where she's supposed to be from. Newport Beach. I pulled it up. Right, Newport Beach. Again, it's a rich place in California. What can you tell right. us about Newport Beach, Dag? Nothing. As a Californian. It's right. Because it's south of me by like eight hours. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Renee is there watching like a scene of like Apollo 11 lifting off. I'm glad it's Apollo 11, not 13. Because um, <laughs> for her jitters, I don't think watching 13 would help. Nope. I don't think it would be appropriate for them to air those kinds of things. Like, here's the challenger. Oh, God. <laughs> right. Or Discovery. <laughs> Either yeah. one. Columbia. But yeah, it was Columbia. Discovery was Sorry. Yeah, Discovery yeah. is on display near Renzo. Well, I think that's one. Th yeah, that's one of the Udvarhezi, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So we get this moment where Gerardi reports back in by talking to herself even further that the plan worked. She's where she needs to be. And then we get this flashback moment where we see exactly what went down on the La Sirena when she shot the queen. And I don't really know what to say. It just seems like a really dumb idea to go up to the board queen after you shot her and let her touch you. Seductive. Well, she was having some kind of like reaction, right? Like she mentions, like, what is this feeling? What did you do to me? Yeah. Right. So they were definitely linked and something was going on there. But the board queen like touches the side of her face, caressing her almost gently. And yep. tubules, which are not the same assimilation tubules we've ever seen before, come out of her fingers, and like we get an immediate green glow, which is again unlike any assimilation we've ever seen before. Yep. Gerardi has been assimilated. What does the board I don't queen think so. Need with fingernails. What does God need with the starship? That's why I said it the way I said it. <laughs> no, oh, you're right. Oh. As, a as, a as a weapon. Yeah, stab. As a weapon, why does she think she's going to be engaging now, in close I, quarters combat? I don't think she assimilated Gerardi. I think she just did a little backup download. I think she harveyed her. This is a Farscape reference. Yeah, I'm not getting it. Okay, so I've seen it. How, does Harvey piggyback over other things? No, remember how Scorpius implanted like a, a mental clone of himself into John Crichton's head, and yes. John Crichton named him Harvey. Yes. Oh, yes. I understand okay. the reference, and but I'm not a no Farscape one... person. Oh, it's such a good show. You should watch it. Do you know where the no, Harvey can... reference comes from, though? Yes. Harvey it's Rabbit. Move... Yeah, Harvey. Yeah, yeah. the Invisible Anyways. Rabbit. Point is, no one can see uh, Harvey but John, and mm -hmm. they have full conversations. It is slowly driving John Crichton crazy. He goes through escalatingly more and more risky things to try and get it ripped out of his head uh, until it eventually succeeds, right? But mm -hmm. the whole point is the Harvey was in John Crichton's head to try and like get information that was stored in there. And this one, I don't think is there for the same purpose, but I think it's the same sort of setup. These, whatever the Borg queen implanted her is not assimilation. It is a backup like Dag said of her memory with a purpose. It's gonna try and trick Gerardi into letting the queen take over. It can't take over on its own. 
and that's probably how we get the Jurati uh, Queen on the Stargazer. Well, but uh, so what's more implausible that the Borg Queen has fingernails, or that she manicures, cuts and trims them so as to not have fingernails? It's kind of like who the hell's still cutting the grass in The Walking Dead, that kind of thing. I mean, it's what's easier to swallow, having fingernails or Oh, I, manicure. I don't know if I consider these nails to be well manicured, to be honest. They look kind of bad. I am legit. Well, yeah, I but I mean... I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> you brought it up. Yeah, I did as a joke. Oh. <laughs> I don't you can't care. joke with minutia. Okay, moving Star on to the Beyond <laughs> Fingernails podcast. <laughs> Ugh. Ooh, yeah. Ugh. All right. But yeah, so I don't know what it is. My theory is just that it's like a Harvey implantation, and we get a little bit of that. Uh, yeah. in the next scene where we see Jurati sitting handcuffed and then the board queen puts her arm around her mm-hmm. and like the first time I watched this scene I could have sworn could have sworn in my head that I saw like the board queen like cross her legs while sitting there next to Jurati on rewatches it's not there right maybe it was just like me in my brain thinking like this was like a Jamie Lee Curtis moment uh, got a heart like yeah I thought you were going to say Sharon Stone Okay, or yeah, Sharon Stone yeah. would work too, right? Like Sharon Stone like crossing her legs like seductively or like kind of thing. Uh, I get it, but she's got the same vibe for me. Yeah. I uh, That's how seductive and manipulative she is, is that she got into your brain in just that one little spot to make you think she was crossing her legs. Either way, <sighs> she's now on a bench. So unless Gerardi's going to carry her around like a backpack everywhere, she's going to have legs. Yoda in a backpack. Dude, I was thinking the same thing. Well, she's not really there. It's just, it's that whole figment of the, it is. the projection in her mind. She's going to have fake imaginary but, legs now. Jurati uh, yeah. getting mind-fucked twice in the season, in, in, in two seasons, I'm like, okay, she's got to tell. She's got to tell. She couldn't tell the first time. Don't make Jurati pull the trope of dishonesty when knowing something very important to this would be crucial to her friends. Like, yeah. she has to tell them. Right, I, I think I'm being manipulated by I the Borg Queen. I think that's the trope that I hate the most, is when a character doesn't tell somebody something that's very important because the narrative says this plot needs to last an hour and a half. Right. It, it starts to get a little, kind of a little incredulous. It is. Tell someone, like, hey, I don't feel right, so, and I might be mind controlled. So she may not keep be able to, right? Like she may not be able to do these things, right? But I did want to point uh, out one last thing before we finish off, like the scene. Well, hold uh, on a minute. She may not be able to do that, but there's also quite a bit of effort being put into not say anything, or to not let on to it. Or so if we were in the prime timeline, right? Seven and yeah. Picard would immediately know, right? Because they would detect that there's a Borg near them, even after uh-huh. the Queen is dead. And Seven is standing right there when when she's briefing this whole thing. Yeah. Right, Picard is there too, but both Picard and Seven have lost any of their Borg implantation, so this is totally self. Like they're not going to know. Uh huh. All they have are their memories. They don't have the actual tech anymore. So, I don't know. What I wanted to point out though was I really love that moment where when the Borg Queen puts her arm around Gerardi and goes, "Captured on purpose." Hmm? Clever little plan. Which is almost like she's saying that that's what she did when she got captured by the Confederacy in the first place. Oh, that was a good catch. I did not, I didn't make that connection because 
you're right in just about every caper you have to have someone that gets caught on purpose you think so three-dimensionally how small you've become <laughs> and that's and that's part of the plan is getting Get yourself caught yeah have someone on the inside wow uh that's a really good insight captured on purpose just a snarky little look at me look what i did <laughs> i got away too <laughs> danny ocean and ocean's 11 you got gerardi and the boar queen and he's there different ways i'm trying to think what what other movie or caper involved some person needing to be intentionally caught I'm sure there What's is. What's the one with Sean Connery? Uh, the Rock. Entrapment? Oh, Entrapment. The one with, um, oh, God. I haven't seen that one, so I couldn't. Catherine Zeta-Jones. Dark Knight, yeah. The Dark Knight? The Joker had to intentionally yes. get caught. Yeah, Joker As... had to get caught. Yeah. Um, if you know any so, more, yeah. post them in the comments. What movies, shows, whatever feature a main or major character intentionally getting caught to fuck up or further the plot. And don't just look at TV tropes because I don't have time for that. If I fall into a TV tropes black hole, you won't see me for the next three podcasts. I won't come out by then. <laughs> I'll have to fly to DC and get you. You'll end up being in the dark web. I mean, I'm closer. You know. TV tropes is bad, man. I end up reading everything, and then I just keep yeah. clicking, and it's bad. It's no. worse than a real-time strategy game. It, it would take See, me, like, what, six hours, eight hours to get that, to DC? That's where, I, that's where I discovered the trope of dishonesty, like the TV mm -hmm. trope of somebody knows something really pivotal to the plot that they could just tell anybody, but for reasons unknown, they don't. Right. That's just typical, some typical movies for you. <sighs> that's driving me crazy now. Now I'm going to be trying to get to sleep tonight thinking what other movies or shows centered around someone needing to be caught I really like plan to work the, the way this episode moved really quickly through many different places yep. we, we moved from uh, Rene Picard's uh, sim test to the apartment to uh, the bus to uh, introducing Adam to back and forth to all these different places. I really appreciate that we got so many different things. There wasn't a lot of fat to chew in this episode. Nope. Everything had its its place. I'm going to give this episode eight kidnapped French police officers <laughs> out of ten. This man had a family. <laughs> have a little sensitivity. He still has a family. He just doesn't have a spleen. <laughs> you don't need a spleen to live. It is a semi-optional thing. You just can't get into another fist fight after that because your body will have issues with breaking down problems. Oh. Hmm. Perhaps being You guys ever see Jessica Jones? Yes. Remember, she lost her spleen after her fight with uh, Kilgrave, right? So it's a big deal to not have a spleen. I forgot about that part. Okay. I watched Jessica Jones, but I, I couldn't really get into it. But anyway, <sighs> um, Rento, so, where do you rank this episode? I'd say it was a good episode, though I'm a little concerned with the pacing on it. It did seem a little haphazard. Like, they just kind of like, not that this whole season hasn't been very compressed, but this episode felt very, very compressed for me. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of stuff just ran into itself. Uh, we didn't see much of Raffi, we didn't see much of Rio, so we didn't see much of Seven. They had, like, one thing to do the entire episode. Um, that's about it, so... I don't know. Well, they had to wrap up the, the Ice storyline, yeah. and then 
So well, yeah, what what's your rating? I think I'd give it a three and a three and three quarters out of five. Three and three quarters what though? Nacelles out of five. Okay. I want a five nacelle chip in this season. <laughs> we had a four. Why we'll not a five? Tie two warp cores <laughs> together, warp to another place, then warp back and turn the sun into a Taurus. Ooh, ooh, We're good. Ooh. I do have a good bit of tea for you, though. Mm-hmm. So uh, somebody tweeted at, at one of the production designers for Star Trek, uh, Picard, that after season three, can we please get a Stargazer show? And uh, he says he really, and the, the person was saying that he really wants to see some good action shots of Stargazer, and we're not getting that in Picard. So give us some, like, give us a show with Stargazer. And uh, David Blass's response, which he then deleted within 30 minutes, was there will be plenty of space action in season three, don't worry. Hmm. Okay. okay. I like it. I dig. Um, I think. Um... Ooh, this is a tough one. I'm kind of wavering between seven or eight Q business cards out of ten. I'll take eight. All right, I'll I'll do the eight. I'll do the eight. Renzo, oh, messed that one up. You should have said seven or eight out of nine Q business uh, cards. Geez. Oh God, yeah, I yeah, missed it. Well, that was, next week we it was can right do there. we can do two out of one. Yeah. For our uh, our next episode. Uh, next episode review is going to come out next week. Also next week, don't forget, Will Wheaton right here on Beyond Trek Podcast. Audience, thank you so much. Which, which day are we releasing that again, Doug? Like, it's going to be on it? April 11th. 11th. 9 a.m. Eastern. Today is the 4th. So one week from today. Mm-hmm. Less than a week if you're listening to this on Tuesday, because we're recording on a Monday. Will Wheaton right here on Beyond Trick Podcast. Uh, and I just want to thank the audience for always electing to go boldly with us week after week. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to give a quick shout-out to our Patreon and Anchor supporters. Big thanks to Stephanie Baker, S. Tam, Anne-Marie, Jim Cook, and Nora Hickson. We really appreciate your support. Thanks for being a part of Beyond Trick Podcast. We are Beyond Trek Podcast. Lower your inhibitions and surrender your years. We will add inspirational and hilarious Trek content to your day. Your attention will adapt to subscribe to us. Resistance is futile.